Before our hero's journey was made famous by Joseph Campbell, Manley P. Hall published his first book in 1922, called Initiates of the Flame. In it, he explains how the symbols that we see in religious and popular myths and stories can help all of us in our journey through God's school for man, our life. Enjoy! Hey, Brandon. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. Yeah. Happy uh, summertime. <laughs> Starting the same way. Why, Brandon? No. You don't tell... They don't need to know what time of year it is. This has to be able to go through time and space. Yeah, this is a, this is a timeless episode. Yeah. We need to be recording these so that it doesn't matter where you're at or when you're at. Yeah, you're, you've suddenly put them back into the world where this was going to lift them out of the muck. I mean, what if it was winter when someone eventually listens to this, right? Mm-hmm. I just ruined it. Oh, well. Or spring, because no one Guys, likes winter either. Don't listen to Brandon. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back and we're doing something different. Yeah, I thought about it before this. I thought about it in the last few weeks. How different is this? Like, how we've done some, like, we've done, like, we, you know, on this, in our, in our podcast here, we've gone, we've started off with, like, like old, texts right like religious mm-hmm. texts and some of them are kind of like we're like more borderline like like fictional than others like oh, yeah. you know some of them are like some of them some some oh, religious affiliate they're all fictional man yeah okay <laughs> so my point is some some of them are like highly like venerated by a world religion today yeah some of them are like no one it's kind of like a lost yeah some are just like and it's, it's yeah, lost. we've been all over the place. Yeah, if it's lost, people don't care. To, people are, are more readily to admit, like, yeah, I don't think that actually that's not none of that's true. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, a lot, a lot of Jewish traditions, yeah. you know, that got passed down and and expanded, you know, over time. But then also books that they never even or had existed at one time and were lost and also came up. So then people are like, well, no, we already believe this Christian yeah, part. We can't, so we can't change it. No, the, yeah, these these ones are just pseudo pseudographic. And then we did, like, we've done some philosopher stuff. But then, like, recently we did that, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day, which was completely different than the, than the usual, right? That was one of our greatest episodes. Well, that's not, and that's a point I'm trying to make. <laughs> Is like we've kind of done. We have done some different things. We haven't like you know, I don't know. We I don't. I don't think we've broken the rules, but we've like we haven't we haven't stuck entirely to just like old texts that are fragments and and translated. You know. Yeah, we just kind of gone where our interests are more. But recently, and that's been the whole point of the thing, though. It wasn't necessarily to... sure. I think that the, I, we mentioned this like about like six or seven episodes ago. But I think that there was because the name is Gnostic Deluge. Sometimes it's a little to some. It's like like well, I thought you were talking about Gnostic stuff, but we don't. Well, they knew if they listened to the first yeah twenty episodes, there yeah. was never any yeah Gnostic we, we didn't stuff. St- we didn't do the Apocryphal of John until like thirties or forties yeah. yeah. But recently, I was on the where you host this. It's Podbean, uh-huh. and I'm looking at it, and I was looking at some of the more popular episodes, and some of them were surprising to me. Some of them were surprising that weren't very popular too. Yeah, sometimes you're like, "What? I thought that would be a good one." Yeah, like, 
I thought and, the Stoic stuff would get a lot. Yeah, and it, and it more really, than it does, and it really didn't get too much. Yeah, um, but like, I've had a, I've heard a lot of good feedback for the how to live on twenty four hours a day. You have personally, yeah, from per, from people that I know. Not, I don't know what kind of feedback you're getting on Podbean if there is. Oh, any, I don't. But like, for my per, from people that I know though, I've it's gotten a, a lot of good feedback. Well, that's why that's why I picked the book because I liked it because I was like. This is actually a pretty practical way to just, and I've been trying to do it. Not, you know, obviously I haven't gotten the, even close to the three months or sure, even close to the three times a week or whatever, you know. Well, that's, the, that's the other one. We did like that date. We did that. We did that. We did the, um, the dreaming, the lucid dreaming. One. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we've gone in different, air, different directions and some of them have been, some of them have been good. Like some of them people have, people have enjoyed more than others. Yeah. So I recently had a few days ago, someone said that they want to re-listen to the How to Live in 24 Hours a Day. And I said, just read the, just read the book. You know, don't, I, I didn't say this actually, but I'm joking now. I said, don't take my word for it. Like Read the book. Read the book. But Yeah, that's all. Well, that's the funny thing is a lot of these books, you could, li- people could listen to them. Some of them definitely are shorter way than Way shorter than an, than an episode. Yeah. But... It's true. I mean, well, I'm just saying, I just kind of want to put it concrete for myself, you know, so I can put it into, hopefully put it into practice. Did you find an audio for the one that we're doing today at all? Um, there, uh, actually, I just found one this morning that I was listening to when Did I went kind to, of prep yourself for it. Yeah. Like, to, like cram it in real quick. Yeah. And I, do just, I do that every once in a while too. This is a guy, the guy. It's not very good, but okay. That's I not, mean, I was it's fine. This one probably is one of the ones that is. I'm quick, surprised. A quick, a quick audio, that but no one doing it. Well, I, I think there, I think there is. You just haven't been able to find it. I just, I didn't, I never really looked because it's such a small book, and I was just like, yeah, it has pictures in it, and so the pictures kind of make you kind of want to read it a little bit more. Yeah, than, yeah. I'm sure on YouTube. Let me just look real quick. I bet you, because well, I found one right away. A guy reading it. So, um, anyway, so, oh yeah, let's talk about book. Okay. So we're doing, yeah. Here we are uh, okay. About. So this is one that actually was requested long time ago. Whenever we first started, there was a guy and hopefully he's still listening. Um, it, uh, his little handle on Podbean is angel eyes. Hmm. Kind of spelled a little different. But, yeah. And, uh, or his or her, I don't know why I think it, but uh, I thought it was. I thought immediately that it it could have been both. Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, um, actually, I'm gonna bring up the little thing because I had, I think I because I had gone out and bought the book. Yeah, <laughs> month a uh, year ago. Yeah, plus, year I remember. Ago I, plus, I remember that. I was like, "Oh yeah, this this uh, person on the thing said this," and I was like, "He's like, have you ever considered doing a an episode? An episode? Yeah. Uh, okay, so this will be perfect because then it'll, it'll uh, um, oh, this is from pencil." Pennsylvania. Oh, I might be, I love um, Pennsylvanians. Oh wait, no. But anyway, the, it's from Pennsylvania. Um, where is that thing on the Golly. I remember you reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think you might have read it. On, did you read it on an episode or did you read it afterwards? I think Probably I afterwards. read it on a smorgasbord. Oh, oh here okay. it is. Hey, I've been meaning to check Manly. Oh, wait. That was my reply to him. Oh, this is back. Uh... When is this? Oh. It's probably longer than you thought, actually. Probably two years ago. Okay, so I replied 24 months ago. Two years ago. Um, it says, uh, oh, also, have you heard of Manly P. Hall? He wrote The Initiates of the Flame, and would you consider doing an episode on that? And you know what? At that time, I you mentioned it. I know that we had tons of things we were looking at. And so we just set the book on the shelf, probably, and meant to look at it more and then never did. Because you even got me a copy. Yeah. Yeah. Because so we like, planned well, on we looking got, into it. Yeah. We had other that still had our um, initial stuff that we were going through. And so that's where that's that's how we got to here. Well, I'd watched the movie Norseman. The North Northman or Northman? Oh, yeah, I think I've seen like a trailer or a preview for that. Yeah, and uh, is the guy who is the main character like of just ripped as can be? He's not. He's not oh. that ripped, but you keep seeing things like train like the Northman. I think whatever. that's what I've seen. Maybe I haven't seen you know, a trailer. Maybe I've seen stuff. like a yeah. video. Okay. Like what? Okay, but uh, but there was this whole thing where there's initiation an initiation scene. Yeah, you mentioned that towards the beginning. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it was pretty. I was like. And then I texted Brandon, oh, mm-hmm. what do you know about the North, right. North, North Smiths? And then he's like, I don't remember what you said. I had but. just, when you mentioned that, I was just starting chapter two of this. Oh, yeah, that which was only it. briefly mentions it. Yeah, they don't go into the Norse myths in here very the, much. It just touches on it. It mentions Valhalla, right? Yeah, you're like, look at look at chapter two, the Shambhala or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. And so it mentions it, and so I we thought, okay, and I was already had starting this book, and the first chapter and the introduction was so good that I'm like, maybe I should just re- to tell us, but tell Mark about this book, which was the book that you bought me, and I actually got from you. Yeah, thanks for telling me about it, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it was Angel Eyes who who so thank you got, An- got us together. Yeah, thank you, Angel Eyes. So anyway, so here we are, twenty two years later. And uh, finally getting around to this one, which is a great little book by yeah, Manly P. This Hall. is a gem. I'm, I don't want to give spoilers, but this is a gem. Like, this is a good book. Brandon, you can give spoilers. It's fine. Okay, here's a spoiler for everybody. The book that we're talking about today, The Initiates of the Flame by Manly P. Hall, is for with a page count, like it's like 80 pages or something. 70. Says it right here 69, 69 pages. pages. <laughs> Hey, I didn't. Well, I, the only the reason why I looked at you strange is because it is sixty nine pages in this book as well. But we've already decided that there was things taken out. Yeah. Anyways, so um, they're already trying to hide things. Sixty nine pages, and I I can't think of a I can't think of a better sixty nine pages to explain world religion as a whole in a, in sixty nine pages, like. In six nine pages, he covers with pictures. With, with pictures, pictures. With pictures. I mean, this is basically a pamphlet. Yeah. If you took the pictures out, it wouldn't even be barely. Yeah, there's some big pictures. Yeah, there's some full pages. That like a uh, Zoroaster one, full mm-hmm. pager. Well, that one's not in here. Oh, good god, dude, that one's cool. It's got like this demon coming out of the thing, this flame guy. What the heck is that? Anyway, well, so. Manly P. Hall was a, a well-known, well-known American occultist. 
yeah, he was legit. At, he was like in his twenties when he wrote the big his big like book that he wrote that today is he's known by most mm-hmm. most for is the secret teachings of all ages. Yeah, people. That's and, like his his magnum opus. And I have it, and it's like I have it, and then I have its follow up, and they're both like fat books, eight hundred, nine hundred pages. They're big. Wait, which you have that and what? Then he has a he has a follow up for the secret teachings of all ages. I can't remember the title of it, but it's like it's like a second secret teachings of all ages. Because I started listening to the secret teachings, and it was going into all kinds of early Mm -hmm. Greek and stuff. Like, yeah, I was like, what's neat? What's neat about that is that each chapter is basically like a standalone. A standalone like essay in a way. Okay, I've seen a lot of his stuff. That's a lot because they have a lot of his lectures and stuff on YouTube yeah. also. Yeah, and there's a lot that involve like the there's also the the secret destiny of America. Oh, yeah. I, I'm I've I'm in I'm halfway through that book right now. Oh, you are. It's it's a great book. What's our secret destiny? Or can you tell me? Well, I think so. Maybe I should mention it later. We actually mentioned it before we started recording. We mentioned how, like, oh, he had well, he had some high hopes for, you know, I think that our secret destiny of America, in his theory, um, it's taking a little too long to come around. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he had higher hopes. Like, kind of like some kind of. Uh, he's not looking. He's no. He's not. New, he's looking at a new yeah. Jerusalem or a new. And he's looking at it more as a, it's not the secret destiny, like for future tense for us. It was the secret destiny for like the ancient Greeks, like America, North America, the continent, was being held, and it was kept secret because tell that to the Native Americans. Yeah, <laughs> but it was being kept a secret, and it was Wait, being held back is... from like the mainstream. Because of its secret destiny, because it would be one day, it would be a, it would be what, you know, it'd be a land where the, the Plato's, Plato's work, we hope that's where, that's where he would be eventually the, the Republic would be like actualized, right? Or like people's ideas of like, oh, so this is totally different than I thought. Yeah. I thought it had something to do with the Masons and them, well, the he, secret men- societies kind of them. building up the, he mentions them as like. But like the the real destiny is, it's not our it's not destiny from our point of view, it's a destiny from ancient people's point of view, of what will happen there, here in, in, in the United States, you know, in America. So I like that it was kept secret except for there's people living here. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Nobody even knew about it. It was basically a desolate land, and people are like. Wait, is hey, uh, you know we're here, right? <laughs> yeah, and there's like, and there's like, old, there's ruins of like temples and. Well, that's the thing is that, yeah, the more that's that's revealed, there's like, geez, there was a huge that huge civilization here, that yeah. that was probably had the same kind of religious stuff too. Yeah, it's a good thing. Too bad the farmers that moved all moved out out here had to plow their get some fields for their crops. Well, I mean, it's not like. I'm just saying, but down in South America and and oh, yeah. down in Mexico and stuff, there's just a lot of that still, still there. stuff just yeah. sitting there because you can't excavate it all. 
So did you want to start from the uh where do you have a place you want to start on this one? Um Yeah, sure. Um on the with the uh I'll just start where I start having mar- markings. Yeah. Cuz he's trying to explain what this little book's going to be about or this little pamphlet. In the pages that follow, we will try to show this great thread, the spiritual thread, the thread of living fire that winds in and out through all religions and binds them together with a mutual idea and mutual needs. So that's his whole point. He's going to take us in the stories of the Grail and the legends of King Arthur. We'll find that thread wound around the table of the king and the Temple Mount Savarat. So, yeah. I had not, that's not a term I knew before. What? The, te- the Mount Savart, what is it? Where you- yeah, the, uh, it's right. Wait, are you like trying to point to it for me? Oh. Right here. No. Yeah, it's Salvar- just where Salvar- the Grail, I guess in the legend, of, I started listen. actually started listening to some of the yeah. legends of the King Arthur. Because he suggests that in here. Well, and I was like, I don't even know what they are, yeah. you know, because there's the whole Holy Grail thing, and you know, there's all there's like the Indiana Jones episode or movie on it, and Number then there's three, the yeah. whole the Da Vinci Code on it, and that's stuff, right, and, that's right. And then he's talking about how there's, so I started listening to some of the, the King Arthurian legends, but I never got far enough to, I got far enough to where the, um the grail and the spear were like disappeared where this guy accidentally used them because mm-hmm. they were sp- supposedly brought from Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. Out of, uh, out of the Jerusalem and taken to, well, they wandered around, you yeah. know, in the Europe and stuff. And then they ended up somehow in Mount Salvara in Spain. That's right. That's where it's at. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, but the 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 legends are pretty interesting. Like, there's a lot of people getting killed in them. In the Arthurian legends, yeah, and like people like like not being the best knights either. <laughs> oh yeah, it's um like this one guy. He passes. His name starts with an S, or is it a G? Anyway, he he he's a knight, and he's going on this quest. He passes this knight that's in distress and this woman but he's like i've got to go do this thing and she's like please help us you know and mm-hmm. and uh he's like no i've i've been king arthur go, told me to go do this so i gotta go you know they're um r- running after a white deer mm, yes. or something yeah you know this a weird thing or something yeah yeah and uh and uh so he just on his way back once he finally completes his mission he finds out that that the the girl was you know she finds her dead she kills herself because her knight dies Hmm. and uh and he finds out that that was his daughter his long lost daughter coming to (laughs) to anyway to uh so and because he didn't help her his his own daughter died. Anyway, just well. That's I, how I think there's supposed to be lessons you learn. Yeah, them. that's how all the old stories are. They're not. Yeah, they're tragic. The prota- and also the protagonists of the story aren't like the heroes that people write today. You know what I'm saying? They're like 
you know, like the uh, Homer and the, you know, like Simpson, the, yeah, Bart, yeah, the uh, <laughs> in the like, the Odyssey, who is you know like Ulysses, Ulysses, you know, yeah, like he's not like this like super like overly moral hero, yeah, like they all have like flaws. He's and, just trying to get home to his woman. Yeah, they have like they're very like there's not you wouldn't tell you wouldn't tell your child now look look to this person as a as a as an example for all your moral guidelines if you yeah. want, if you would say look to them for for advice on how to like have like courage and confidence and yeah. how to like but not, well, they're flawed people yeah yeah you'll even see that in the bible sure and everybody well, ignores I mean, Mo- it that's the same think about moses there i mean there was a time he wouldn't even circumcise his own kid and zipporah She's all, she's all, okay. She goes, grabs the foreskin, <laughs> cuts it off and throws it at his feet. And he's like, I've married a bloody husband or something like that. That's awesome. She's, <laughs> Moses couldn't bring himself to do it, you know? And then, but then even the great Moses, you know, he has that time where with the rod, mm-hmm. he hits the little rock and water starts coming out. He's like, I've given you water now. He's all pissed at the That's Israelites. Right. And it's like, and God's like, what? How, who, what'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, and then it was like, he, he didn't give thanks to, or he didn't, he did he kind of claimed that he yeah, did it. To Moses, and Moses. so that, that's the thing that actually kept him out of, I think. As one, I, that might be the reason. Yeah. There was that, one reason. There was one reason why he wasn't allowed to go into. I think that was it. Yeah. According that, to this tradition. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying, but that's in the Bible. Like these these stories. So they're imperfect people. Yeah. People don't realize that these stories are better with all these like f- flawed, you know, characters. Very flawed. Well, and then Jesus comes along. It's like, okay. Yeah. I didn't have anything. He's going to do it all right. Yeah. Until he, until he flipped a, flipped a gasket and turned the tables over at the temple and was all. That was cool. Yeah. Like, yes. Well, they didn't even do anything. They're just all like, whoa. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess they eventually killed him, so. Yeah, they, got, they got it. Yeah. Anyway. So. Eddie, oh, yeah. So his whole thing. This is kind of like a hero of the thousand faces kind of thing where you have these. Who's that by? But anyway, I can't think of his name. But, uh. You have all these similarities and all these different things. Campbell. Oh yeah, Joseph Campbell, where they they're they're yeah, woven right. in legends and religion and throughout you there's all that so that's the point is that he wants to be able to find the great the thread that is woven throughout all these things. He's gonna kinda tie it together in this little book. That's his and that's the purpose of this little little book. Read that read that big Bold printed thing. Yeah. There is but one religion in all the world, and that is the worship of, of God and the, and the spiritual flame of the universe. Yeah. So anyway, and he goes on with, he says, within us burns that flame, and before its altar the lower man must bow, a faithful servant of the higher. Let us find this flame and also serve it, realizing that it is in all created things that all are one because all are part of that eternal flame, the fire of spirit 
the life and power of the universe. So there you go. There's his little. Yeah, that's his intro. intro. That's his intro. Basic. He's like, hey, this is what I'm going to try to do. And he kind of sets a he sets a good tone here because one of the questions I always ask when I'm reading a uh, Manly P. Hall book is like, is this guy? Because he'll say something and he'll say something. Let's say he'll mention something about Jesus, and so I'll be like, oh, is he Christian? You know, I've I've asked myself that before. We're reading other of his books. I'm like, mm. oh, he's not, oh, he, is he a Christian? But then he'll say something else. It's like, oh no, he doesn't sound very Christian, and it's because he's not. Like he's not like anything. He's like everything. He's nothing and everything. Like he he believes it's all. He believes it's all. Guess what? He's not going to heaven then. Yeah, he's not because he needs to take. You need Jesus only, dude. Yeah, Come exactly. On, get out there's here, one. Manly. There's the way, the truth. Yeah, the way the. No get man. Get on your knees, manly. Exactly. So, but yeah, I think that he's kind of like, he's kind of set himself up and he wrote this book. He wrote this when he was like in his, when he was 21. He wrote this book. Yeah, this is written in 1922. He was 21 years old. I can't imagine, I can't, he had so much figured out at that age. Like he had so many things that he, or not figured out, but he had so many things. He was so well versed. Yeah. At that age. So. He grew up in the tales of Arthur. King Arthur. Yeah, he grew the up. Legends. Yeah. But well, um I like I like that in the forward he also has a really cool little thing. I'll read the first part and then you read okay. this last sure. sentence. It says the world is the schoolroom mm. of God. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. Our being in school does not make us learn, but within that school is the opportunity for all learning. So just going to school, just because you're in the world. Yeah. Actually, you're gonna learn something, but but it doesn't matter. It's it's uh, taking the opportunity to make it into it something where you can really learn. Yeah. So you want to read the yeah. The hours may seem long and the teachers cruel. Oh yeah. But each of us must walk the that path, and the only ones ready to go onward are those who have passed through the gateway of experience, God's great school for man. So this living experience is was what he's saying is God's great school. Yeah. And well, I guess though it's. I like the I like the when he says the teachers may be cruel. Oh yeah, I've had a lot of cruel teachers. Yeah. So Haven't the, we all? But the world is the schoolroom of God. Sometimes you wonder why you're here. But it's like, what's the freaking point? Yeah, I've been wondering that a lot. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, what's the like, point? and sometimes I'm like, am I just fooling myself and trying to put like significance yeah. into the world? Oh yeah, totally. Or into my the life because it's just like it's hard to figure out. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I I ask myself that all the time. I'm like, am I searching through all this stuff because I'm trying to come up with something that will like make me feel that I'm not lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but then you're like, but then it's like, or, well, okay, or if I give up on it, then what? Then what's life? Sure. So yeah. I don't know whether you put meaning into your, you got to put meaning into your life, you're, you know, somehow. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't, you, 
Here's my wise words of the day, Mark. All right. A few days ago, I was telling someone something about this topic. I mentioned about myself. I said that, you know, I find myself, I often find myself feeling like I'm just going to just burn another cycle of cycles, right? That, you know, if, 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 let's say that, let's say that I was like, this is one of many lives that I've lived and I'm continually reliving them Uh trying to, and I, I, I basically said, yeah. I feel like I often feel like you know what I'm just burning this cycle through. This is a burner life, yeah, like a burner phone. <laughs> like, all right, well, I guess I'm not getting it this one. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, uh, but I'm like, I gotta make, I gotta, I don't know. But then, and I also, and to be fair, I and then I afterwards, I told him, I'm like, but the thing is, is like, I have to live like this is not a burner. Yeah, like I have a hunch that it is. <laughs> but I have to live. I have to live where I believe it's not because I, who knows? Maybe I, you know, what I'm saying maybe there's is maybe there's maybe it's not a burner. Well, I'm saying, but even even if it doesn't end up like okay, so the idea is that eventually, you know, through different lives or this, you know, you get to a point to where your next life you'll be ready. Yeah, you'll break out of this madness. So maybe you'll be able to push yourself a little bit more towards that this yeah, one. Exactly. Same way that th- Oops. Oh dang. Uh, I have to find myself uh the burner. Yeah. Burner life. So he starts off with the appropriate how if you're going to start telling everybody like the the a quick summary of what why we have what what this is all about and what the religion around the world all tr- were trying to originally do. He starts it off with this, like talking about fire, you know, and I thought that was a really good way to start. Well, yeah. Cause, uh, well, think about the myths, like the, what is his name? that gave fire to man. Yeah. Like Prometheus or Prometheus something. Yeah. Or the spark. That was the Yalo Bayothex thing yeah. blew into man. Exactly. I so with that being said, as I read through this book, there's I thought of so over the last few years, three years that we've been doing this, I've thought of there's so many things have come back. Like, oh yeah. We've talked about that. I even had a lot of Porter memories, like, oh Porter mentioned this before, you know. But the thing is, is um I even thought of we haven't ever talked about it in this. I'm not gonna go into depth about it. You can. But there's um I even when we talk this chapter on fire, I thought a little bit about the the um, golden chain of Homer and that original natural fire. You oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this. It's a the fire is just a fundamental like element, right? It's like the energizer, yeah, energizing, yeah, thing. It, or it seems like. Well, read the little. Cube alter thing. So, just a of, yeah, sure. Or... Of the elements of the earth, is this alter? So there's a it shows a picture of like an altar with a a square, basically a cube with an eye on it, and a like a a lamp above it, or like a what is that? What are those things called? Like a sensor or something. Anyways, yeah. of the elements of the earth, is this altar composed? It is the great cube of matter. On or in this altar burns a flame. It is this flame that is the spirit of all created things. Man, know thyself. Huh, hear that again. Man, know thyself. Thou art the flame, and thy bodies are the living altar. 
So he's, yeah, basically his thing is like, you got this, I, for, you got this cube altar, which a cube. Yeah. Represents man. And you're like, like, okay, so how does it go? You got, you got a cube mm-hmm. and then you put out all the sides mm-hmm. and it makes a cross. You That's know? right. Yeah. But that thing I've is. I've seen the diagram. Yeah. You can, you can make it so it's like a. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, cross. you put down each side. So you put down the two on the side, one up top, and then there's two more that still, you know, for a cube that come out and it makes it makes a cross, and that represents man. That's what, mm-hmm. and that's what the cross. That's the bigger symbolism of the of a cross in general is mankind. So when Jesus dying on the cross, yeah, kind of like was a bigger symbol than you know than you usually think. You no, know, there's a lot of just there was like, more it meaning was, it was more meaning to it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um so the the altar represents the the human being, the mortal part, the flesh, right? Yeah. But upon it burns or inside of it, either upon or inside of it, burns they always have a a a flame. Yeah. The flame. Burning. And that represents the spiritual side. So you have both the physical and the spiritual coming together. Um, like the 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 lamp of the ancients was fed and kept burning by the purest of olive oil. So man is transmitting within himself and and cleansing in the laver of purification, the life essences, which when turned upward provide fuel for their ever burning lamp within himself. So the he's saying this is the reason behind these that they that all religions have like a flame mm-hmm. and an altar. Yeah. To represent. At least all the ancient ones do. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of and there's a lot of analogies with lamps, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and oh, flames. Oh, this this part was interesting. Start reading this part with the ancients. The ancients symbolized under such things as this the development of the individual, and as the tiny spark burning among the incense cubes slowly consumes all, so the spiritual flame within the student is slowly burning away and transmuting the base metals and properties within himself and offering up the essence thereof as the smoke upon the altar of divinity. So that's interesting. The the burning is the consuming yeah. of the of the material. Yeah. You know the 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 base metals. He gives an example of the base metals. Yeah. Yeah. There's um was it is this the book that was talking about the the um Israelite sacrifices having to do with like the zodiac? Yeah, that's okay. where it was just it was okay. just uh I couldn't remember um, if this was a book or not. Oh wait, I don't know if he says it right here because actually, I'm gonna say it later. He 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 does say that uh, King Solomon, when he completed his temple, offered bulls as a sacrifice to the Lord by burning them upon the temple altar. Those yeah. who believe in a harmless life wonder why so many references That's are right. made to the Bible to an, animal sacrifice. So it is here, yeah. Um. Oh yeah. So yeah. read the next. So the student realizes that the animal sacrifices are those of the celestial yeah, zodiac. Yeah. And that when the ram or the bull was offered upon the altar, it represented the qualities in man which comes which come through Aries, the celestial ram, and Torres, the bull, 
in the Zodiac. Yeah. That bull. Remember that bull? Remember that? Remember a piece of that bull hit um, Ishtar in the face? Yeah. The thigh, dude. Ishtar got slapped. Um, well, that's so. So that's so, an interesting, interesting look on this that I haven't really come across before. I I liked it actually. Yeah. So, in other words, the initiate passing through his tests and purification is offering upon the altar his own higher being. So he's offering upon the altar of his own higher being the lower animal instincts and desires. So, yeah, that's the thing is that you're always like, like. I, it's just like what the animal sacrifices are just totally bizarre. Sure. Why? And they don't even like eat them, or like the people don't. The, the, the priests priest eat them. I think yeah. it's like waiting for the priests to get food. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it wasn't about you know what was it? And that's and then I remember I sent you that text about the um uh Cain gave Kel. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, they they Brandon sent me this text that. About what the what Cain's rejected offering to the Lord was, and it ended up that he offered kale. <laughs> so, of course, it was rejected. It's like, get this I mean, out you of can't, here. He's like, I have to put this in a smoothie to make it taste good. <laughs> no cruciferous as as uh, offerings. Yeah. So, anyway, so he's kind of like talking about like looking into. These things are have a deeper meaning than just. I think we kind of look at them as kind of like just ridiculous, over the top things, yeah, and like. Totally. What, but they had. If you think about it, you can get a deeper meaning out of them. Yeah, that's supposed to be like the scapegoat kind of thing. Sure. Where they would put the sins of all Israel once a year, or whatever, yeah. on this one goat. Yeah. And let them out in the what? What is that? The Azazel, the desert. Yeah, just let him out in the desert, and yeah, yeah. They would. That's where the that's where the Azazel comes from. The word Azazel comes from because they would put all their sins into this goat, and then they would and then they would sacrifice this goat in the desert, and away from where they were at. And to think the idea that they were act their sins were actually going on to it. Is just like a dumb idea, you know. You're just like, yeah, but we think that a lot. We go, Man, they oh, thought they thought the dumbest things. Yeah, they, they they thought they were actually doing that, and maybe maybe some of them did, maybe the majority of them did, but there it's got to be a deeper meaning. Well, the thing is, is like, and this is this is what I'm coming to find is we look back in the past and we look at like the Greeks and go, did they really like their their the stories of their gods are conflicting. Like, well, one in one story, you know, uh, Zeus, like this God came from Zeus's, this God came out of, this God was born because Zeus had it, something crazy happen to him. But in this story, this God helped Zeus hunt a, something in the forest, you know, like yeah. there's conflicting. And so like, how can yeah. they actually believe all these stories? Right. And I, I've, I has recently over the last, just, I'm not even going to say, but I, I think over the, as of recent, I'm coming to find that. I'm not so sure that they actually believed him. I, like you said, I think some people probably did. But today, you look at people today and like people believe the dumbest things today. Like, do you, you believe that? So I don't think it's beyond human intellect to believe the lamest things ever. Yeah. But I don't think that the stories were created because I don't think they actually believed that they were true. 
you know, because I don't think true meant the same thing it does today. Today, people talk about truth like there's like a, like it's a real thing, but back then, like no, they weren't. Some they weren't illusioned that you know, Cronus was eating his kids, and then like, you know, what I'm saying, these crazy stories about Cronus eating his kids, and then um, what was who was Cronus's wife, uh, Rhea, Rhea or Gaia, basically helped Zeus survive. That you know, and all these stories that we these Greek stories, and all every every culture has these crazy stories. Odin, you know, or and you know the stories of like Loki and stuff. Yeah, and people like I don't think they believe that they were real. The purposes of them not were not because they were real. The purposes of them because they told they taught like stories. They taught like me. They had meaning. Lessons. To them. They, they, they had meanings yeah. to them. I think today we look back like a bunch of idiots back then. They believe these lame things. But yet today we have people that every day I'm finding people that are like, yeah, they just, they're falling for that, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, yeah, I think Brandon, of recent, I think my, my, my point was, is just be, these, these crazy stories from the past, I think we're illusioned if we think that they actually all believed him as well. Well, yeah, just like looking over the Stoics and stuff, it doesn't seem like they actually believed yeah, God, how he, how the, the stories went. They believed, you know. Yeah, they understood that they were just stories. But they told them, and they had meaning. Yeah, yeah, and people didn't cry about. That's not true. I don't think people claimed that back then. Someone wasn't canceled because they said something because they told a story that was wrong. Back then, like, who cares if it's true or not? That's what I think. Back then, I think people just didn't care. Like, I don't care if it's true. It's a cool story. Yeah. You know, there are some cool stories. This is some of the Nordic myths, too. Yeah. There's one where uh, Thor gets dressed up in a wedding dress. I don't know that one. <laughs> it's pretty good. Like he goes to a wedding and then he starts eating all the food. It, he's the bride. He oh. dresses up as. Anyway, this this giant had stole his hammer. Yeah. And he said, I won't give it back unless I can marry. I don't remember which of the gods, it, goddesses it is. So he dresses, he dresses up as that goddess. Loki, Loki's like, like, okay, I've got an idea to, you know, and he's like, but Thor's gonna have to dress up like the, the god, you know, like the goddess. And so he he dresses up in the veil and stuff, but he starts. He's like Thor still, so he's there eating all the food, and the guy's like, whoa, she can eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, then, and she puts her his hand on his her his thigh, you know, and he's like, whoa. And eventually he gets the hammer, though, and he's like, I'm Thor, and he, like, destroys everybody. Yeah, I don't think that was true, Mark. I can't believe people used to believe that. Oh, it's true, Brandon. I prayed about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Okay, that was a lot of rant on the uh, that, but... Um, oh. So, yeah, that was the explanation between the sacrifices, right? Yeah. He says the centering of thought or emotion upon higher or lower things, as the case may be, determines where this life energy will be expended. If the lower emotions predominate, the flame of the altar burns low and flickers out, which makes sense. But if you have the higher one, then um, then you'll go another way, right? He said, and there's always, always like a symbol of death, too. Yeah. Also, that we just talk about real quick. Down, there's the sacrum bone down yeah. at the 
to the very base, huh? Yeah, and it's shaped like a gravedigger's spade. Yeah, I never. I mean, I guess it is. I it's interesting. You know, I never noticed that before. And maybe that's why they use this the particular gravedigger's spade as you know, not that the which came first, the sacrum bone or the gravedigger. I'm sure there's sure. the sacrum bone that came, from, but yeah. then they were, you know. W- they symbolize it like the I guess the Masons. Yeah, apparently they have it, they have in some of their ceremony. Yeah, where they always are reminding you of death because you're mortal. Mm-hmm. Um, they even have like a coffin or something in their yeah. temples or something. He even yeah. talks about that in yeah. here. Yeah, they do. They do a a a burial or something. Yeah, or not a not a burial, but. I think you yeah getting in the you something like, it's some kind of like um to represent hey. yeah some kind of like ritual where you like lay in the coffin or something yeah and then come out I don't know I I haven't seen it or heard about it but but anyway so that's an interesting thing that this the sacrum bones kind of the lower part of the representing the lower yeah part, like, yeah you know where your passions are and stuff and then you know but then the flames up higher so you want to trans you know eventually transmute your power from down below mm-hmm. where all your passions are and stuff and get them up into the mind and yeah this once again like like we've had many episodes that I've had this happen now it's reminded me of the the um pomandries and breaking through those different layers of you know, to break through the harmony, you have to like rid yourself of this and this. And there's like these seven stages. Yeah. Right. And it's basically traveling up the spine and getting rid of different passions and different yeah. like, attributes. Um, very well, yeah, and they always They always seem to have it in seven, even in the hermetic things, they have yeah. it in seven and the, the chakras and chakras, stuff. yeah, seven. So anyway, for some reason, it just happens to be you know seven. Well, the, seven deadly sins. But it's also because of the, you know, the thing is, is and this is how this is what's taught in the Hermetic philosophy is, you know, we come, you know, we humans were, you know, we were like, we were gods, and so to make us so that we to make humans something that would actually um have challenges they were they were gov- they were given they were governed by seven gods right they were like the seven gods were oh the planets yeah and okay. so those planets oh, yeah, represent planets, what yeah. we're governed by right yeah and so those seven so if we can break ourselves out of being governed by those then yeah letting those things rule our lives yeah exactly where we what, take control of our own lives exactly it's referred to as like um what is it referred to as destiny you know yeah or fate fate yeah if we can break away from our fate and our in our destiny based upon when we're born and all the things that make us unique and who we are those yeah challenges that we have and all these kind of stuff and there's seven of those ruling planets i think the number seven works really good with with uh, everything, and then they they point you yeah. to seven different parts of your body as like mm-hmm. the chakras. Because the thing is, you can find an eighth. Like, well, we need an eight. Okay, well, then point to this too. You know, yeah. I think they just do it for like meaning and yeah. purpose. Yeah, it's not like because uh, obviously they found other planets since those are just the seven visible planets. Correct, but at the time that they well, I'm saying visible from oh, even now they are probably. Is that what you're saying? 
Well, no, I'm not saying the the. I'm saying then they got telescopes and they could find. They can find Pluto further. and stuff. They yeah, find, they can even find Uranus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody's found my Uranus. Well, the Uranus. thing is, if we're starting off in the Sacrum, that's right. That's right above <laughs> that's Uranus. <laughs> Oh man, nice, Brandon. <laughs> Wait a second, we're going down. That's going that's, down. Yeah, that's where you start. You're, yeah, you start in the pooper, <laughs> you move on up. <laughs> okay, so let's go. Uh, there's a there's a gem for you in our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um. Here, you. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. Put the, Therefore, let each student watch the fire that burns upon his altar. Let him also make that altar, his body, as beautiful and harmonious as possible. And let him also sacrifice upon that altar the frankincense and myrrh, his actions and his deeds. As in the tabernacle he offers all upon the altar of divinity, so let him day by day dispel the symbols of mortality, the coffin and the open grave by which he prepared himself through the mastery of the lower emotions within himself, and recognize that no matter how crystallized, or dead his life may be, the fact that he exists at all proves that the sprig of acacia, the promise of life and immortality, is somewhere within himself. This is like a never-ending sentence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he's got like, there's like, there's dashes, there's commas, there's semicolons. Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps going. This, the whole paragraph's like one one sentence almost, or like two sentences. Yeah. But yeah, um... Okay, well, we... He mentions so, and, crystallized a lot in the book. Crystallized is basically is another way of him saying, like, has, like, just stiffened up and died, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so I guess in, in the Masonic thing, too, they... He says that they would put a piece of acacia... Wood? Yeah, with a green, green acacia to represent, even in death, there's still life. Oh, okay, yeah. In like the coffin, yeah, I guess. Okay, so that's where he he kind of mentions that, but he says you put these, you put the symbols of mortality in front of you, the coffin, the open grave, you know, and all that stuff, as a representation of what you need to overcome. That you can, that if you're good spiritually, you can overcome death. You know, like actually, yeah, break out actually. So maybe that's like. You know, kind of the whole Jesus on the cross, and and then all of a sudden he dies, and then he comes back to life. You know, what's that? Probably representing sure. the higher him overcoming, well, being a, sacrificed upon the the altar or the cube altar. You know, but it's stretched out as a cross. So here's a so here's okay. so here's the thing. I this I just now thought about this. There is. There is an old, and you know all about this, or you know you've heard about it from the same source that I've heard about it. There's really old um, traditions about the whole like coronation, yeah, where you have to go and you like go underground or you die for three days, uh huh, and then you come back, yeah, right. And often, what kings would do is they wouldn't actually die for three days; they would just like symbolically die, yeah, right. Then then they have, they have to find a new king. They really died, yeah. Right, so they would symbolically die by going into, and they wouldn't lay in a coffin for three days either. They would have like an, an underground, you know, layer that they basically just 
night a night probably for a king's probably a nice cozy underground layer uh, uh what's what are those called a shelter like a bunkhouse underground a resort man yeah but for but, kings yeah. but they would basically symbolically go underground just eating and, grapes yeah just like, or being fed grapes not having to like rule the kingdom for three days probably a big vacation but um that was always a symbolical thing that would happen during the coronation ceremonies and stuff because they needed to 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 symbolize their their shift from a mortal being to an immortal king yeah and right? he gets a new name and all that stuff he's sworn in and you even have you have it with presidents of the united states yeah, and every year every time every thing is they come out they actually come out from you know and then they get sworn yeah. in and yeah it's, it's like a big thing it's like a old tradition that is around the world and you have um you have like jesus going into his tomb for three days and then rising right and there's some some people out there that I've read I've I've read some theories that G, like some people say that Jesus never died right well that oh, yeah. would, if he didn't die then that still fits because he went it for three days because even the ones that say he didn't die um they do believe that he went into that tomb for three days that's why they had why why else would there be Roman guards hanging out outside of a dead person's tomb right oh yeah. I see. They didn't want, you know, but like, so there's like, there's theory about that, but that's this whole, like, this whole thing that he's talking about right now, that apparently the Masons do with the whole Spring of Acacia and the coffin and stuff. I think it's just an old idea of. Well, I mean, but even the symbolism of what the Roman guards do to him, whenever, I mean, they put a crown of thorns on him and give him the the purple robe, you know, and stuff symbolically and it's like well why is all that in this because exactly there's there's a small there's a small amount of space that the gospels take up it's not that yeah long and that they mention things that specific things and it's just like you know oh why why are they showing the mocking thing that you know the the romans do and stuff and but it's all symbol symbolic sure it is so that's not like trying to say anything, but it's whether it's whether it happened or not. It's symbol. It's still symbolic. Oh, Brandon, what happened? Oh, it happened. All right. You good over there? Let me see. Yeah, I just don't drink. I don't drink as fast as you do. Oh, you are good. Something goes light. You don't have to. Brandon, one down for Brandon. Yeah, one down for me. One goslings. Look now at this. Not the big boy. Oh, he's nice and the cold big skinny too. boy. The tall boy. Oh, I better recycle this. Let me make sure it's actually recyclable, though. It says right to, on top. Well, it says recycle, but it doesn't say that it's actually recycled. It's I'm not, not going to re- get on that, but... Oh, Brandon. Brandon's like, <laughs> that. that's for a different... His other show. Brandon Rants. Brandon. Check it out on podcasts yeah. everywhere. A new, wherever your local podcast... Uh, aggregator is okay so so you have you know obviously the the symbolism of the altars and the flames and death and you know that every religion has and then now we move on to the these the sacred cities oh can i read one thing before we do that sure uh i disliked the i liked his manly's um reference to the candle under a bushel oh yeah he says uh this is referring to the whole this flame, right? 
He's saying, this is the light that has gone out. It is the candle that is hidden under the bushel. This is the true light that forever dispels the darkness of ignorance and uncertainty. Let the light shine forth through a purified body and a balanced mind, for this light is the life of our brother creatures. I like how he pulled the that New Testament reference mm-hmm. into this. You know, don't because that's, 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 isn't that like a popular New Testament line? Like, would yeah. you like don't don't. Let a your light sh- set on a hill. Yeah, exactly. Let your light or, shine forth. And light on. Would you put it under a bushel? Well, but the I think Moses tried to hide his candle under a bushel. Did he? He ended up with the burning bush, though. Oh, <laughs> I knew that there was something like. He's <laughs> like, I was, son of a gun. I fell for it again. I'm like, this is like Mark's sarcastic voice, but I'm for some reason I'm falling for it, and so I'm like, did he? What, what was this? <laughs> Well, I mean, how did he get the burning bush? Yeah, he let his, put his candle under a bush. He was trying to hide out in the desert, you know, and then all of a sudden God's like, dude, you're not getting away. Yeah. And uh, so all of a sudden the, he was hiding the from bush s- gets on fire. He was hiding from Satan out in the mountain. And he put his bushel, he put his, his, his candle underneath the bush trying to hide it. and Didn't work out for him. I mean, he had to let go into Egypt and say, let my people go. So like you Can't said, escape density. You know what I'm saying? Or destiny. Destiny. Oh, nice <laughs> reference. Yeah. It's my. What is that from Back to the Future? You're my density. <laughs> <laughs> so we're now we're on the. So he talks about like this is like a chapter about like sacred space, right? Yeah. Like he mentions the the city, the sacred city of Shambhala. Okay, I need to. I want to. Okay. Actually, um, hmm. well, for the Norsemen, it was Valhalla, the city of the slain, yep. built of the spears of heroes, where feasting and warfare was the order of the day. Here, the heroes fought all day yeah, what and reveled place. by night. Every day, they killed the wild boar and feasted on it. What the a, next day, it came back to life again. So what, they a got like, again. what a place. What a, like, what a place to be. Yeah. I like it's it's got the rainbow bridge. Yeah, which he associates with the same spine. The rainbow bridge is like the spine. Oh, the seven. Yeah, it's Roy the, G. Biv, dude. Roy G. Biv. And it's the you have to cross the you have to cross the threshold of the rainbow bridge yeah, to get to to get to the it's yeah. the connection between it's called Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah. That I never, I never knew down it was this called, bridge yeah. the gods came and Odin the All Father came down from Asgard, the city of the gods, and worked and labored with mankind. So, yeah, you have this, again, the seven. Yep. I didn't actually do that connection. I just knew it was a rainbow bridge. I didn't do that rainbow set. Roy G. Biv, I didn't do that connection. Boy. How Well, the other day I was, we were driving up at, up in northern Arizona, and I it, was, it had rained, and uh, there was a rainbow. Mm. I was like, whoa. And I, and I was like, like all those colors are like what gives color to the world. Sure. You know, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. Just Science. light. I know, but I'm just saying like, otherwise without light, you, you don't have any color. Boring. But I'm saying that you can see all that. You can see that up in the sky, like as, as a cluster, you know, as a. Yeah. It's all within one space. Like it's like because of the fragment, 
the fragmentation. Yeah, the yeah. the breaking up of the light. Anyway, I don't know where that, but I just I, that was just a random. Thought. That was a moment of awe. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like that's like that's what we're. All of a sudden, you take that rainbow and all of a sudden you're putting it out. You're you know onto all this stuff, and that's why that tree over there is green and sure. There's brown, and then there's purples and all these bright colors. Any color, every every single color we see made up of the what rainbow. about sriracha red yep you and that one even that one brandon so okay let's go on to the greeks so among the greeks mount olympus was held sacred and here the gods are said to have lived high on top of a mountain and then the knights of the grail that we mentioned earlier are said to have had their castle among the crags and peaks of northern spain on mount salvart and every religion of the world there is a sacred spot maru of the oriental the and mount moriah and mount sinai upon which the tablets of the law were given to man all those are symbols of one universal idea and as each of these religions claimed among the clouds a castle and a home so it is said that all the religions of the world had their headquarters in shambhala the sacred city in the Gobi Desert of Mongolia. I don't know who says that, but yeah, I never heard that actually. It was I mean, probably a theosophist. I have thing. kind of heard it before, but like I don't. Oh, I, actually, I think if there's one of the Batman where he goes to, and it's kind of where he goes to the Sacred Brotherhood to be trained, right? Yeah, doesn't they do that like in one of the um? Doesn't they do that in? Was it Doctor Strange or something? Doesn't he go to like? Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, well, it says, okay, among the Oriental peoples, there are wonderful legends of this sacred city where it is said the great white lodge or brotherhood meets to carry on the governing of world affairs. I was like, this is where the, this is where the conspiracy comes in. Yeah. Cause you know, the, like the whole idea of this, this group of people that are governing the world and you know, and yeah. I don't even believe, I don't, I don't think this stuff's. Well, that's this is uh, where I'm like, okay, this is symbolic. This isn't. This is um, this is a carryover from Rosicrucian thought, the Great mm-hmm. White Lodge. Mm-hmm. But um, we know that the other thing is we we talked about this earlier too about these. Now I know I all I I follow you with the whole like governing the world. Like, well, they're doing a crappy job right now, you know. Yeah. But like, um. We we took note when we were reading through like several of the texts that we read early on about how the the Sethians were up in the mountains too, like mm-hmm. you know, and the you know the, or the Hebrew patriarchs, yeah, were you know, the pre the pre deluge, right? But even Noah and and uh, Shem, because or yes, Shem, I, yeah. Yeah, and were, Abraham were, had to go, had, go had to remove themselves away because they didn't, they weren't, they weren't living with with the people. Yeah, so when Abraham had so to go and and, uh, and if and escape, away he went up Nimrod. into the, he went yeah. up and well, they, he went to a cave, right? But yeah, so there's a lot of like, um, the whole idea of mountains is like every. I feel bad for any culture that doesn't have any mountains. They must have a different story. Is there any like world? Is there any like location? Maybe they built mounds though. They built pyramids. That's insane. Yeah. They built pyramids, mounds. Yeah, mounds. I mean, that's insane. Like all, 
seems like so many religions would build i mean like even in north america mound builders mm-hmm. they build these mounds yeah sure you know and then down to south america and central and, and north america i mean they, they were, did them like an area especially they did like in like midwest and stuff yeah they're but yeah they're, it's like littered with there's like not tons of i don't think there's tons of mounds in like the appalachians because there's mountains are right right there like but there's, there's a lot of like folklore and tales and scary stuff about the appalachian mountains so Big like foot. if you had mountains nearby or you had your mountain already there, right? You would make a story about how that's don't go up in the mountain or like that's a sacred space up there. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't have a mountain nearby, you in Michigan, I lived there for a few years. There's not a single mountain in Michigan, but they have tons of mountains and stuff. Yeah. So like, I think they, I, that's what your point is. This is, is you, you don't, yeah. If you don't have, you built, you built sacred spaces usually built. Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of like, I think, Porter was the one that was talking about this. You get the Bruce Porter. Yeah. But you get, you start off with the altar. Wait, how, and then you build a, the, the temple around it to maintain that sacred space. Mm, sure. You know, it's built around it. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the Axis Mundi and stuff, the symbolism of the, uh... yeah, where God always came down that, and that, that's, that might be a deeper, you know, thinking yeah, that goes to the places where where God placed it or stood to to finish the creation of the world. There's a there's a guy who I've read. He's a very difficult to read. His name is um, Mersey Eliad. He's like a if you go to like school in, in college, if you're taking like classes on religion, advanced classes, you'll often have to be told to read Mersey Eliad. And he writes a book, a very famous book called the I think it's called the sacred and the profane, the sacred and profane. And the whole book's about like how every culture has like this concept of like a sacred space and they build and they build their entire society around yeah. that sacred space. I mean, think about like just Jerusalem, you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. just saying that that was the Jewishes or Jewishes, <laughs> the, the he- Hebrew people's, you know, holy yeah. land. Sure. But eventually they lost it. And they're still like claiming, you know, they're still, I mean, 2000 years later and they're, they're smart people and stuff, but they're still like, Oh, that's our play. You know, it's yeah. like, cause it was in the Bible. Like some, yeah. you know, they still have, yeah, it's weird. It's just strange. Yeah. Like how I'm saying how important these sacred places can be and how they'll do anything to keep them. Oh my gosh. Anyway, he talks about, well, we won't go on the, oh, he did, I did find it interesting that he mentions that, that it's not really applicable for what we're talking about, but he does mention Flammarion. Flammarion. Did you catch that? He's talking about how the earth, he was, he was, so he's justifying his idea that the, the, this, the location of the, this Gobi Desert of Mongolia, this location of Shambhala. He he kind of justifies it by saying it's moved around throughout time. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he's the talking earth about shifts the, around the, the different pole shifts. Okay. Yeah. And one and as he's explained that he mentions according to Flammarion, the French astronomer. I'm like, yes. Because we we had the Flammarion engraving on we've put it on a few of our videos we made. Oh yeah. And that was from his book. And if you think about that that picture, it shows like the different it shows like the gears and stuff yeah, in yeah. heaven and like 
like the earth like rotation and stuff yeah the guy's able to actually see the workings of the universe yeah, yeah. but um uh, he just gives more examples right mm-hmm. he gives he gives the um the muslim uh mecca, mecca and um he says few see in this any more than an outward symbol the spiritual consciousness in man is a pilgrim on the way to mecca as the consciousness passes upward through the centers and the nerves of the body oh, yeah. it is like the pilgrim climbing the heights of sinai or the night of the grail returning to mount Savra. so that's what the whole pilgrimage is all about it's it's, a, it's an actual symbolism but it's an actual physical yeah. challenge like sure on double dare or whatever yeah it's an actual physical challenge but but uh it's supposed. It's spiritual. It's yeah. it's a representative of a bigger thing. Your struggle to get to this sacred place, you know. Yeah, it's not an arm. You can't do it sitting in your sitting on your couch. You have to like really like. It's it's back to how to live on twenty four hours a day. Remember, sure, yeah. he talks all about that. He does. You know whether you're like most people haven't even left. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember what the name of the city is. But anyway, you're right. He does mention that. That's a good point. You want to, yeah. Nice Here, uh, read this last uh, par- par- sentence on 23. Yeah, okay. The spinal fire goes through the centers or seed ground of many great principles and worships at the shrine of many divine essences within itself. But it is eternally going upward. And finally, it reaches the great desert. Only after pain and suffering and long labor does it cross that waste of sand. This is the Gethsemane of the higher man. But finally he crosses the sacred desert, and before him in the heart of the lotus rises the golden city, Shambhala. So so he's still talking about the original thought is traveling the, the journey. Yeah, yeah. Right? Starting from the sankram or starting low and going high. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's what all this stuff symbolizes. It, but you don't get there without pain and effort. Yeah, you have to pay for it. Um, and he and there's all these different, like the lotus flowers to just. I can't believe how there's he's pulling together. He pulled together like a a sh- grave digger's shovel and a lotus flower and. A rainbow and all being a symbolism of the same concept. Well, here we go. And this, okay, he's. Oh, yeah, about, here's the end of it. Okay, yeah. In the spreading of the bone between the eyes called the frontal sinus is the seat of the divine in man. Um, this is, uh, and that, so he's talking about the third eye, or yeah. what's that called? What's it actually? Pineal gland. Pineal gland. Pineal yeah. gland. Yeah. It says, this is a lost city in the, in the sacred desert connected to the lower world by the rainbow bridge or the silver cord. And it is to this point in himself that the student is striving to rise. This is the sacred pilgrimage of the soul in which the individual leaves the lower man and the world below and climbs upward into the higher man or higher world. The brain, so that's probably why it's up, because yeah. it's always a struggle going up. Sure, cl- and and then if it's symbolizing 
kind of what we were talking about where you have the sacral mm-hmm. area and you're trying you're raising up through the different uh spinal region into your brain you're you're going up mm-hmm. but uh and then so he's saying like in our brain there's this lost city this lost area that we don't use or become yeah hypertrophied yeah your, your Ooh, third eye big the, word there yeah the pineal gland yeah that they've a lot of religions or you know s- spiritual things believe that this actually when is a can be spiritually uh activated yeah and there's, there's, there's a seat. space there's a space there for it yeah yeah and that that's so this is the lost city the lost city of gold that Ponce de Leon down in Florida was trying to find. I don't know about that, but he, there's all these, all, like, all the streets down there. Every there, there's always a Ponce de Leon because oh. he was looking for some lost city of gold, you know? Okay. Yeah. During the, um, the explorations. And yeah. Stuff. Or was it the lost city of gold or was it the fountain of youth? It was something, one you of those. know, one of those. Yeah. But the, so he was all, always, there's streets named after him all the time oh wait here let the student yeah so let the student remember that all these things must first happen within himself before he can find them in the universe without yeah this is a good part actually the twelve elder brothers within himself must be reached and understood before those of the universe can be comprehended if he would first if he would find the great initiates without, he must first find them within. What? Yeah, it's crazy. What? Dude, this guy's no. like turning it. If you find them without, you got to find them within. I've spent my whole time looking out. Dude, this I is, thought they were out there. This is I'm looking for the White Brotherhood. <laughs> like, you that name doesn't work to them. I know, too. but I'm saying you find the White Brotherhood, you end up with in some like neo-Nazi yeah. group. <laughs> You're like, son of a gun. This is not what I thought. So I was writing a story, okay? The great white brother. I was writing a story about six to nine months ago. I was writing this story. And I still have, I'm still working on it a little bit. But anyways, that's not the point. And I was referencing, I wanted to reference the great white brotherhood, <laughs> right? But I, but I knew that, that that wouldn't translate today to any, you know what I'm saying? It would immediately, it's like putting a, it's, it's like put, put like the pure brotherhood or, or the pure yeah. the brotherhood the pure I don't know I, I actually called it I think I just refer, I think I just shortened it to like uh, the brotherhood or like he changed it dumb. to the multicultural brotherhood yeah like <laughs> I re, I changed the name of it because I was referencing the same brotherhood that the Rosicrucians reference you know yeah yeah but I didn't want to like I realized that today anybody that read what I was writing would be like. What is Brandon writing here about? You know, it wouldn't translate very well, but we know what he means. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I also thought about that clever little story that um, Wim Hof mentions about, you know, the gods trying to hide, you know. Oh yeah, and they have to hide it within because that's where we won't look. Yeah. But um, to continue, he it says, uh, if we if he would find the great initiates without, he must first find them within, and if he would see that sacred city in the lotus blossom, he must first open the lotus within himself, which he does petal by petal, when he purifies and attunes himself to the higher principles within. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that the lotus represents the spinal column. Yeah, it's all the same thing. 
yeah, it's roots go down, but the blossom is at the top. It blossoms on top. Yeah. He even, um, uh, not here, but I won't go find it, but he even references, he even like gives us as an example of the rod, Aaron's rod that blossomed. Right? Yeah, so, okay, so this I looked it up because I, 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 I hadn't, it had been a long time since I even heard the story about yeah. it, but it's just basically there's these rebels, and this is when they're in the desert, uh, there's uh this this group of 250 rebel people you know in the israel that want, were seeking to have the priestly power priest power and uh so god get, has a contest basically every tribe they they all get the, a rod and they put their names on it the name of you know the tribe mm-hmm. and it's put taken inside the alt into the the holy of holies or whatever overnight and then the whatever rod buds that's right you know so these are rods that are dead yeah you know dead branches branches yeah Yeah. uh is the one that will will hold the priestly power life will come again through it yeah yeah and then so uh of course it's it's Aaron's rod yeah. or the tribe of Levi that, yeah. that buds. And actually it not only does it bud, but it actually has almonds growing on it. Oh yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like, I... it's full, it's full. On. It's not like just a little sprig comes out. It, it, you know, yeah. Like almonds, you know, and stuff. And it, it would be cool if it would have been one of those multi, like it's had a, a lime, a lemon and a, you know those those ones that you can grow. No, yeah, not only you, is it, it's got limes, lemons. It's got the the multi citrus thing. Yeah. Anyway, but so that's, that's the story. What that means. And and uh, this ended up, this rod was one of the things that ended up in the in the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, it was one of the things they carried around with them. Yeah, with the with the law mm-hmm. and with something else too. I forgot what it was. But well, with yeah. the uh, it was. Well, I think we'll get into it, but yeah, it was the the tablet, the Ten mm-hmm. Commandments, yeah, the rod of Aaron, and a little thing of the of the manna, oh, okay. which is the food that God yeah. provided that would come down every day. Yeah. If you saved it, you if you took more than you were supposed to, that's right. It would go bad. That's right because you so, had to be reliant every day on the Lord. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't. You couldn't. Yeah, you could only take a day's worth. It's pretty anyway, interesting. Yeah. Um what I like about that story is I, mean, I won't go off on a rant, but I love it when you're when we're reading stories in the Bible and it says there was two hundred and fifty you said there was two hundred and fifty rebels. Uh it might have been somewhere around there, yeah. But it, it probably gave a number, right? Yeah, yeah. But my point is like why does that number even matter? Because it's probably symbolic. Yeah, or unless, it, unless that number something. means something. Yeah, yeah. But okay. So anyway, that's the rod that budded. So basically, out of this dead rod, but it you know through the power of God, yeah, it was you know caused a, uh, yeah, it caused the the, uh, the, the true restoration tribe or the re- to, yeah, deep deep. Anyway, um, oh, that's the end of chapter. Well, we're not we're not there yet. Almost there. Well, we're pretty much. I don't have anything else. Um, I don't know why he meant, draws a picture of the philosopher's stone on this chapter. Well, because in the next one he goes into the philosopher's stone, so it's like, 
oh, this is actually for the pre. This is uh, this picture is for the okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so there's the idea. This this Shambhala. This so the sacred city that they always have, and the pilgrimages that are made to finding it. Even like the Arthurian legends, although I didn't get to that that part yet. Were there? But I, I read it in here where he's talking about these guys going on their quests. Yeah. That's what all, all that stuff means. It's not about, as I was saying earlier, it's not about like, we look at it today because the way we see stories today, like, oh, that's... We they're want, true story. Yeah, they're, sto- they're actual... Yeah, and we want there to be like, wait, this is... That guy is a... That guy was a... He was a punk. Why are they telling us... We don't want to hear us about a punk. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's not... The point is the journey they went on. It's not like... The point of the Odyssey is about, you know, Ulysses and his, the journey he went on. Not like the character of his being. I don't have to, you know? I don't have to check that one. I mean, listen to the whole thing. What's the other name they say? There's different, there's a Ulysses as one version of it. And then the, the, um, what's, what's the other name? They no, there's the Iliad and the Odyssey, but. Yeah, but what's the other oh, name? Oh, the, the name for what's his name? Yeah. Odysseus. Odysseus. Yeah. It's Ulysses and Odysseus, the same guy. I think it is, yeah. yeah. Okay. I forget. There was one one version and another version, so. Different language, I think, or something different. It's all yeah. Greek to me. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, so let's move on to the next chapter. So chapter three is the mystery of the alchemist. Yeah. You know what? When I was reading this chapter, I'm like, this is this is when it dawned on me. Like I already knew that I I had already figured out that Manly like knew lots of things. Like man, he knew a lot of things. But when I was reading through this chapter, I'm like, he really knew a lot. Like he had his hands. He's he had dipped into all kinds of like stuff. You know, some people are like like that where they, they have suck all it all knowledge. up. Yeah, I, that's definitely not me. Like it's taken me forty two years of my life and i still like finding you're telling me the story of aaron and the budding and the rod i'm like i don't think i've ever heard that before you know well i only knew it because i recently looked it up i think i had known a little bit about it but i mean that's embarrassing like that you, it's like wait I, i'm supposed to know that you know i you're supposed to be a bible scholar yeah i'm supposed to know that kind of stuff yeah well can't know everything yeah you know wait let me be honest some things are just boring i'm like i don't want to hear that story but it has That's a pretty sweet story, though. It is. I mean, it's it had, a lot better than it had, I thought. It had almonds on it. Now I'm more curious what the 250 had to do with. It might not even be 250. Well, whatever number it was, right? I'm yeah. sure it didn't say several, because then the Bible, they never say that, right? They didn't yeah, say they lots said, of, there's always a number, like, and, and sometimes they're even extravagant, too, like 12,000 12, from each tribe, yeah. you know, it's like. Whoa! Those are well. You're saying there was over a million people out there. Well, I'm saying like, especially in Book of Revelation, you probably want to pay attention to the numbers because they mean something. You know, because that one yeah. was specifically written. Oh, you got a good. That's a nice Bible there. This is that one I got for. It's when it. Is it Leviticus 17? Mark pulled this Bible out. It looks really nice. <laughs> That's almost like a family Bible quality. You know how families used to have like a family Bible? Yeah, that one where they, you're supposed to write deaths and births and stuff. Yeah. Nope, that's not it. Yeah. Let me look. Real quick. 
So we're I mean, this right, while Mark obviously this, up, this isn't important. We so we just were just Mark looking up. We're talking about that story about the we Mark mentioned that story of the budding of the rod and Aaron, and they put it into the what was it? They put it in the holy of holies to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah, and he's wanting to find. I took note on the number of uh, not bandits, were they rebels? Obsessed with it. Yeah, I was obsessed with the number. So Mark's just looking that up real quick. But um, I don't know. You know, I, and this, but the problem with this Bible, it doesn't have an easy reference thing. Oh, so now I think we're it's in Deuteronomy now seventeen. We're downplaying the quality of that Bible now. No, I'm saying like that. You'd like if you were to look up. Nope. Yeah, look up. Uh, it might not even be the in... rod of Aaron that budded. Yeah. So, guys, yeah. I mean, I'm saying if you get a Bible, you want one with a really good index or concordance, because that makes a big difference. It makes you look smarter. Yeah, and people like this one has like the pages are like what is that called? Gilded. Is that what it's called, Mark? Oh, with the gold or yeah. whatever, the shiny. Yeah, they don't even have rod under in the concordance. Was it because it wasn't a, maybe it was a branch or something? No. Uh, anyway, we're, we're definitely spending too much time on this. Yeah. The rod of Aaron. I doubt it's that, I doubt that story ever happened, Mark. Well, a lot of your, you and a lot of other people. It's number seventeen eight. Numbers. I knew it was seventeen. I just didn't know which one. Yeah. So Korah's rebellion against Moses. So the idea was how many people there were, huh? Aaron provides his rod to represent the tribe of Levi, and it puts forth buds, producing blossoms and bore ripe almonds. That's right. Not even his almonds, it's ripe almonds. Like ready to ready to pluck and eat. Yeah, that's that's why it's a super miracle. Do you think they made almond butter with that, or do they make some like dish? Okay, so seventeen eight maybe. Of course, the the, the rebellion would have happened in sixteen. Yeah. Anyway, it's fine. Now we found it. We still can't find it. It's fine. Yeah, there's two, there's like forty four. Isn't that the mystery of reading in like the Bible? Is you can never find what you want when you want it. That's the mystery of the Bible. I'm always quoting things from the Bible that aren't actually in there. Yeah, people call me out on it sometimes. I'm like, well, I thought that was in there. Anyway, <laughs> well, so there you go. So, Mark, what do you know about the mystery of the alchemist? I know that there are very few people who know anything about these strange men. Yeah. Do you... Oh, that's how he starts it off, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Have you ever read that book by... Oh, I can't remember the guy. Paul Coelho called The Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I read that recently. Oh, recently even? Yeah, because I hadn't... I had never read it. Some, oh. pe- some And somebody made a reference to it as one of the the biggest books in their lives that they read oh yeah it's common i mean i whenever i read it, i was like it was good it's a good book it's a good story right yeah yeah i mean it gets to the point and then i don't i don't want to downplay anybody it's a good story but i think a lot of people say that because a lot of people that read that book are not actually people that read books well yeah so that would make sense where you're like whoa they're you know? they're they're people that don't actually read books very often 
And then they've been like told by someone, you know what book would help you change your life? And then they, so they do it and they read it and they go, wow. And they, they're impressed with the storytelling and, <laughs> and they go, this is one of the best books I've ever read. And they're so happy about it because it's, it's read by a lot of people that are, don't read. That's what I've come up with. That's what I've noticed. I know a lot of people that have read or listened to the audiobook of that story. And a lot of them who don't read anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so I'm like, I, I've deduced that that's something that like, if someone's read a book that's modern today, you know, people will like listen to the audiobooks for like certain stories that like the people will listen to Game of Thrones after the shows came out. Right. Yeah. Though a lot of people did before, but the thing is a lot of people, more people did afterwards. And so when a book becomes popular, a lot of people listen to it or read it. And then, but anyways, that, that was a good story. The Alchemist was a good story. Paul, Paulo Coelho or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what I knew with the Alchemist before a few years ago, but yeah. So there are very few occult students today who have not heard of the Alchemist, but right? few who know anything about him. Yeah, he has a lot of good things to say about the about in here. He mentions a lot of. I mean, he goes, he talks about everything. So where should we well, start here? Well, he, he says that concealed under chemical symbolism uh, is the history of the soul. So that's what they... That's another, because, that's another point where I thought of the golden chain of Homer, of course. Yeah where, yeah, where it was written in a way to where it's like, okay, we're doing science. This isn't religious. But then, because you could be killed at, at the time, yeah, possibly. So you hit it under, under a symbolic... Um, Yeah, symbolism, symbolism, symbolism. Yeah, symbolism. symbolism, and they and it, symbolism. It's symbolism down to the core. With even the way they their symbols, their sign, their uh, chemical symbols, right? Yeah, this is the symbol for sulfur. This is the symbol for, you know, uh, mercury or what is it called? Uh, um, yeah, mercury, sulfur. Um, well, we'll get into it. Um, well, over here it says man has been an alchemist from the time when he first raised himself. That's crazy. Experiences are the chemicals of life which the philosopher is experimenting with. Nature is the great work whose secret he seeks to understand through her own wondrous symbolism. His own spiritual flame is the lamp by which he reads, and without this the printed pages mean nothing to him. Mm. His own body is the furnace in which he prepares the philosopher's stone. His senses and organs are the test tubes and incentive in the flame from the burner oh wait we should explain what exactly the because what's the philosopher's i didn't even know what the philosopher's stone was until a couple years ago yeah well what the not not manly's description of the philosopher's stone but what the what the alchemist's general accepted definition general idea because the a lot of people aren't and then and then the elixir of life i i don't like i said i i didn't know what this was so the basic guy, okay, or what an alchemist is supposed to do. Yeah. So they basically, people are trying to use chemistry in a way or science, right? Yeah. And they have pr- procedures and protocols they do to basically, they're trying to get matter to a state because they believe, the alchemists believe, that everything contains everything. At the core, right? Mm-hmm. All is in the all. Like everything's there. So every strand, everything that's every 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 piece of matter 
every instance of matter contains all the the signature encoding for all other matter as well. Yeah. And, and so it can because be of and yeah, so because that you can deduce like through a mathematical viewpoint, like wait, so we could we could technically we can take things and we can make them to something else. Like you, like they look at it like okay, so you have a piece of lead, which is the lower mm-hmm. metal. Once again, yeah, totally. The, it's, I mean, it's it's, a, it's, the, it's it's your sacrum, your sancrum, yeah, right, and of that, metals that you can work with it and through different. Um, acids and stuff. Acids and and burn, and, you know, and 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 heatings and so the fire and stuff yeah. and 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 everything. You can eventually keep it moving. You can refine it until it becomes gold. It becomes a higher metal. Yeah. So they the the whole the I guess the the uh what's that called the cliche alchemist yeah. idea was that they were always trying to turn lead into gold yeah and and it, that's where you kind of have like your fool's gold idea from right they it's like a, it's actually not gold but it's like a it's actually another mineral that looks like gold and then so you have this concept of like oh this is gold but it's not gold but if, alchemists were trying to create real gold and one of the ways they were doing it is there was this concept of creating after you break down the elements a certain amount of times, you get this like, uh, you get this process where you're, like you can, pu- yeah, uh, putrefaction and stuff. But but I'm, yeah, and it, you can get you can create this what they would this concept of a philosopher's stone. Yeah, where you could take a you could actually take a part of that off, and you could it was powerful enough where you could put it into like a hot vat of lead i guess sure and it would because it's been purified the 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 stone you would be able to put it in there and it would change transmute the whole of that lead into gold let's say and then this is us who are not alchemists explaining what alchemists do yeah i actually watched a documentary last night that ta- that they were interviewing some modern day alchemists. Really? Yeah. It was a it was a documentary about Rudolf Steiner and okay. these were like followers of Rudolf Steiner. But these were alchemists, they weren't trying to create gold. They were using modern alchemy and it showed their lab and it was legit. It was like what stuff that Rubo would talk about. It was legit lab. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to create a type of soil that was better for growing plants. But they were modern day alchemists. And they're taking Rudolf Steiner's ideas about biology or about growing about like, you know, um, he, he, I guess he had a lot, a lot, he did a lot of talk about, um, not biology, but, um, growing plants and how to, how to take care of the earth as well. Yeah. And so these were these modern alchemists, they had a lab with all their like embellics in it and like, you know, little flames under a, you know, it was crazy. I'm like, wow, this is an alchemist lab and they were interviewing him. But they were they were Steinerites, Steinerites, yeah, or Anthroposophistsites. Hmm. But so yeah, we that's what, so that's like a high level view of what alchemy is, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea, but the ultimate idea would also be is there was apparently you can they can create like you mentioned earlier, uh, you can also create a something in the, in the elixir of life type of thing. Yes, I don't know exactly how the. I guess it was if you were to use the part of the philosopher's stone on yourself. Yeah. 
you would extend you Which would be able to perfect yeah your own i mean if it would work on matter sure you know it'd work on you and you'd be able to become uh your body would heal itself and be able to live longer i think not immortal but yeah i'll i'll quickly throw this out there i know i go for tons of rants um this is actually in my opinion this is one of the theories about how the immaculate conception happened it is yeah how so mary was a this is this is the rosicrucian idea right the, it, this, okay this is not me making this up this is what those rosicrucians believe or at least the guy that you yeah well he was who was like a big rosicrucian guy yeah um mary was a high she wasn't just like a just a simple like shepherd girl she was like a high priestess in the temple right and she had been raised from her very youth like she never left she always she, she was so like sacred that she would never like she would only be on like temple grounds right and she basically was taught from her very youth to be like a a high priestess and she dealt she dealt with like higher things in the temple and stuff and i think that the concept is the reason why i believe this because rosicrucians really a lot of their stuff they at least this author spencer lewis right mm -hmm. like he they believed or at this time they believed they believe a lot of things in christianity but they believe in a very like literal like they don't believe like some of the miracles actually happened right they don't and they also don't believe that jesus died they believe that he was crucified but he survived it oh, okay right and that he left the tomb three days later and stuff so they believe in like things they don't believe in some of like the miracles right mm -hmm. and so i was surprised when the fact they do believe in the immaculate conception though out of all the miracles they don't believe in that were actually as miracle-ish right mm -hmm. as magical and stuff i was surprised when um i was expecting i was expecting to find out that they also believe that Jesus's dad was actually Joseph, you know, like it wasn't actually like Mary wasn't actually a virgin, but yeah. I was surprised to find out that they, they actually do believe that, that she so was a virgin. So how did that happen then? Because she had, she was basically taught how to like speak to the different, they call them demons in your body. And she basically made discussions with certain parts of her soul and she crossed thresholds and basically made a deal and within our within every, the alchemists believe that within everything you have what you need to build everything else so she okay. basically would be able to create a the the chromosome needed to create a male you know what I'm saying and to impregnate herself through just through having conversations <laughs> with her psyche with her psyche right okay think about some of the things that ruba talks about right and then think about like if she was if she was that learned and if she was as as great as they claim that she was, um, then like she was able to like. Well, I mean, but the only people that are claiming she's great is correct Rosicrucians because everybody else is like, well, she was just the yeah, she wasn't the very, vessel. I don't yeah. Know. So, but what I'm saying that's my theory is that they believe that that's how they okay. that's how they that's how they that I think that's how they can justify the immaculate conception when they don't believe any of the other miracles hardly. 
you know, they don't even believe there was angels when he was born. Those angels. Why does she even have to be a virgin? That's what I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. But the fact that, but the fact that I'm she like, was, I don't have a problem. She's human beings. So. Yeah. So, anyways, um, that's in my. I, mean, it, I brought this up because of the alchemy part of it. I I guess they just want Jesus to come from a pure vessel. I don't know. I don't think it matters either, and I was surprised that it mattered to them. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So. Okay. So anyway, that's that's our basic summary of. Of kind of the out, well, no, but I'm saying, like, oh, here it is. Uh, his own body is the furnace in which he prepares the philosopher's stone. His senses and organs are the test tubes, and incentive is the flame from the burner. Salt, sulfur, and mercury are the chemicals of his craft. Um, according to the ancient philosophers, salt was of the earth. Mm, yep. Sulfur was of the fire, which was spirit. While Mercury was nothing, only a messenger like the winged Hermes. Yeah, get it? Mercury? Yeah, that's what the uh, Romans called him, Mercury. Clever, uh, what is it? Lucky stab for uh, whoever made up the name Mercury, but yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, um, so eventually the, the idea is that, okay, these guys, you know, are doing their lab thing, but they... They're supposed to realize that, or see, oh, wait, as above, so below, as, as can happen in nature where you can transmute this stuff. I'll be, I can do that myself to myself. Yeah. I can change from the lower man to a higher man. That's the thing behind it. Man is the incarnated principle of mind as the animal is of emotion. He stands with one foot on the heavens and the other on the earth. No. Oh. His higher being is lifted to the celestial spheres, spheres, not spheres. But the lower man tries ties him to matter. Now, the philosopher building his sacred stone is doing so by harmonizing his spirit and his body. That's supposed to be the ultimate thing. It's not, you know, if you're a true alchemist, you 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 not only are you able to do the things physically, but eventually you you they'll yeah you'll be able to do them to yourself. So the idea, what he's saying is the philosopher's stone that you're trying you're spending your life trying to build is the same thing as he mentioned last chapter, your frontal sinus. It's basically that it's basically that shambhala. Yeah, that's the yeah that's the philosopher's stone. Yeah, yeah. Get out of the the sacral. Yeah, get out of there. Don't go. Up. Don't go the other direction. Yeah, yeah. You just end up in the toilet, <laughs> being flushed away. So the turning of the base metal into gold can be called a literal fact, as the same chemical combination which spiritually produces gold will also do this physically. Um, this that wasn't that was interesting. I I did that was interesting. Um. It is known, or okay, should I start? Uh, but it is was upon, yeah, yeah. But it was upon the principle that all things. It was upon, but it was upon the principle that all things contain some part of everything this else. Is what you said, see. In other words, every grain of sand or drop of water has, in some proportion, every element of the universe therein. Therefore, the alchemist did not try to make something from nothing but rather to extract and build that which already was. And this, the student knows, is the very possible course of procedure. Is the, is only. the only possible course of procedure. So you build something from 
Remember at the beginning, he said that the this is the schoolhouse of God. Or, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what he says. God's playground. Classroom. Classroom, yeah. This yeah, one, the schoolroom of God. This one wasn't in this book. That's interesting. Yeah, the, uh, he has a, a little picture of a five-pointed star, and inside... It's a handshake. The... Five pointed star. There's two hand hands being clasped together. Yep. If ever if you're a Mason or whatever, like these handshakes and stuff are a big deal. If you're yeah. a Mormon and you go to the temple, yep. in Salt Lake City, you'll see this symbolism. The keyword is clasp. You know, it's not like a how are you doing. Yeah, it's like a it's, a, it's like it's a hold. Just, yeah. It says uh, the five pointed star. This picture. So it's basically just imagine a five-pointed star, and in the middle is two hands shaking or clasping together mm-hmm. in the middle of it. It says, uh, this picture known to all Masons is out of the soul. It is the star of Bethlehem, which heralds the coming of the Christ within. The two clasped hands are the spirit and the body united in the marriage of the Lamb. And the, Oh, this is the chapter of alchemy, right? Yeah. It is say from it that way, the though. union of the higher with the lower that the Christ is born. So this is an alchemy. I don't think he says. Does he call? Does he use the term alchemical marriage here? He does up here. Does he? Um, whenever he he shows the the thing with the sun and the moon. But he has called it the marriage, the marriage of, the, of sun. the sun and the moon. Okay. So this takes place in man when the heart and mind are joined. An eternal union. It occurs when the positive and negative poles are united, and from that union is made the philosopher's stone. So anyway, he's he's talking about the kind of the higher yeah. ideas behind, you know, the 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 spiritual and the material being united, the positive and negative poles. This is a this Whenever is. you listen to the Kabbalion or read the Kabbalion yeah. or listen to our episode on it. This is kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is, this is like mentioned earlier. This is the Hermes breaking through the harmony, right? This is the, you've gone all through the stages. You've reached the Shambhala and do you have this alchemical marriage, which is the union between your, your um, spirit. How did he word it? Your spirit and your body. Well, he's, yeah, the like... spirit and body united in the marriage of the Lamb. Yeah. But then the other one is the positive-negative yeah. poles being united or being, uh, not united, but equalized. Yeah, okay. E- you know. Balanced. Balance, yeah, balancing those poles. Oh, we love balancing poles. perfecting. And they even have the, he even shows the, Okay, uh, in the temple of um, Solomon's temple, they had two pillars. Yeah, that you'd always you had to pass between to go in. One was called Boaz. The other one, what is it? Boaz and Jochem. Jochem. Jo- jo- I can't. Remember that. I can't never say the second word. Joshem. Is they gotta have it written in here? It's very common for these to be shown the with the B and the J on them, and to not explain what the words are you know what i'm saying most of the time i've seen well that's fine anyway there's these two pillars and they represent um 
at least in uh they represent uh justice and mercy and you have to you 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 find a an equilibrium between the two because you can't have all mercy but you can't have all justice no definitely can't so the it uh symbolizes all this different stuff all the uh you know the equalizing and the the um Should we read the last paragraph here? That's a good one. Sure. The alchemist of today is not hidden in caves and cellars, studying alone, but as he goes on with his work. It is seen that walls are it is seen that walls are built around him, and while he is in the world, like the master of old, he is not of it. He as he goes further in his work, the light of other people's advice and outside help grows weaker and weaker until he finally until finally he stands alone in the darkness. And then comes the time that he must use his own lamp, and the various experiments which he has carried on must be his guide. He must take the elixir of life which he has developed, and with it fill the lamp of his spiritual consciousness, and holding that above his head, walk into the great unknown, where if he has been a good and faithful servant, he will learn of the alchemy of divinity. Where now test tubes and bottles are his implements, then worlds and globes he will study, and as a silent watcher will learn from the from the that divine one, who is the great alchemist of all the universe, the greatest alchemist of all, the greatest alchemy of all, the creation of life, the maintenance of form and building of worlds. All right, that was, you know, he does have a hard time ending a sentence. But yeah. that was a good, but that's a. I liked how he tw- liked how he turned that around to like the, you know, like after after the alchemist is done with this phase of existence and it's building better bigger things. Mm-hmm. And another thing, he has the serpent, a picture of the serpent eating his tail. Yeah, that which very is famous, common, yeah, symbol throughout the whole world. Yeah, and again, that's the reunite or the equalizing of you know, where it becomes one thing instead of the two separate, you know, halves or whatever. You know, the serpent's actually oink, eating his own tail. It says the serpent crown of the ancient gods is shown that the two paths or parts of the spirit fire have been united. This crown is a symbol of mastery and the union takes place within the student when the life forces are lifted to the brain. And, and that's, that's Kundalini thing stuff. Yep, exactly. And that serpent symbol of the serpent segues right into the next chapter of the Egyptian initiate. Mm-hmm. Right? Talk about that quite a bit with this, this pharaoh and stuff. Yeah. We haven't mentioned, he hasn't mentioned Kundalini in here, but that he did, he, he does, me- he did mention it. We somewhere. just skipped it. I think I just didn't mark it. Well, the where, whole, but the thing, the but whole the point serpent, of serpent. Yeah, the yeah. whole point of the, of us, the spinal cord, though, and that traveling. Is basically, and the, you know, that's all about, that's about the Kundalini concept. Now he goes to ancient Egypt. Finally, we're having fun. Finally, we go. Isn't every like, when you were in, when you were in grade school, wasn't it when Egypt came around that things started getting fun? Yeah. He says, Okay, well, let's just start off with this. The serpent which was raised in the wilderness that all who looked upon it might live, 
that sleeping serpent power in man, which coiled head downward around the tree of life, drove him from the garden of the Lord, but which raised upon the cross became the symbol of the Christ. Speaking of serpents. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that people is lost in a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That actually Christ is a, somehow symbolized you know by moses and stuff yeah by the as a serpent yeah well also so you have the good serpent and the bad serpent yeah and there, there's a lot of miss there's a lot of confusion with the serpent in i've noticed like you get like a lot of like really negative talk about the serpent and then there's a lot of positive at the same time or you even have like you even have like confusions about like the serpent in the tree and whether that serpent was there to help them or to you know to harm them. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's the same serpent. It's just there's two different poles to it, you know. Yeah. Rather than yeah, because there's a you know there's a whole I think through Christianity especially and like Judaism and and uh, other religions that Ab Abrahamic religions especially. The whole um, serpents have been vilified because of the tree of life, because of because of the Garden of Eden and the serpent misleading, mm -hmm. e you know, Eve and stuff. There's like, there's like, oh, serpents. But you go through like, uh, is he going to mess? Does he go into America here? I don't think so. No. But like in the American, you know, the American, t like South American uh, temples and stuff. There's like serpents everywhere, and yeah, but they're heathens. Come on, oh, Brandon. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. But I'm saying, think about Moses whenever he was uh, contending against the the pharaohs. Yeah, or the pharaohs' magicians. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, they threw down their staffs and they became snakes. And then he threw down his, and his snake consumed the other snakes. Boy, and I'm saying that was the same. And so I'm saying, like maybe there is. Okay, this is his. He's not talking about this in the book, but like you were saying, and like he kind of suggests, maybe there's this possibility of the transmuting of mm -hmm. of the the bad snake into the into the good, a good snake. Good point. Do you ever like have you ever met a good snake though? So I saw one yesterday. You did cute little guy. Was it gardener snake? No, no. It was. was it was actually in a pet store. Oh, okay. But no, no. I, every time I see a snake outdoors, I don't stick. I don't stick around. Those I'm not bad a snake. I'm just not. I'm just. A, I'm just you know a, what? Every time I see one, I crush its head. Oh, I'm just and joking. I will crush. I don't. Its, and it will. Was it bite it, your heel or bruise your heel? Bruise your heel. Yeah. You shall crush its head. Um, not yeah, me. It's, it's a good thing we. I'm not a snake killer. Yeah, I'm not a big. Um, I did see a cute little snake yesterday, though. But um. Yeah. Anyway, so there's there's a symbolism that we don't get with the snake that we don't understand in the in that with the like you said the Abrahamic religions. Yeah, totally. You, and that is lost even to them because yeah, because Moses the raised the serpent up on a staff. That was the thing. These guys were getting bit by yeah, these fiery snakes, fiery serpents. Yeah, yeah. and then all's all's that he required, all had to do. Yeah. I mean, God's like, hey, what I need you to do. You get, the, I mean, I don't know if it was a little ser literal serpent. Yeah, if it was real thing, or if it was like a, sim a statue or, of it. But or, he said, you raise it up 
and and then all in order for your guys to get healed they just have to look at it and there's a bunch of guys that died because they wouldn't even look at it yeah which is a whole entirely interesting concept right now but it seems like a always it is superstition too though you know, you kind of like, cause then there's the whole thing with the calf. Yep. Like I, you, you like, it seems like sometimes the idea you get is like, like the, the Hebrews were, they were the practicalists yeah. in their religion. And then also you look at it, you're like, well, no, they were super superstitious. Yeah, very much. <laughs> I feel like on that topic though, I, I find myself more and more every as I as I get older and stuff. I find myself every time I read like something in like a Bible or something. It's like oh, I'm more, I'm at the point now where I'm like, what isn't a symbol? Yeah, like everything is. Yeah, like the whole thing is like you know. I used to like when I was I used to think like, oh yeah, there's a lot of interesting symbolism in it. But now I'm getting to the point where like every single it's almost like almost every single story in line is like, geez, this is a symbol in itself. I'm saying you get the Cain and Abel story, which is, a, you know, a great mm-hmm. like story. Like, I mean, one, like a life lesson kind of thing. We didn't read that. Did we? What? We didn't mention that about the Cain and Abel. Oh yeah. They, he has this weird thing about, and I Fair didn't beginning. get that. And I was like, I, yeah. I kind of I didn't we can, mark yeah because I was like I don't know what he's talking about yeah I don't know enough about that one because he had this weird thing where yeah the it was Cain a, the people of Cain anyway they kind of separate it's yeah, weird yeah okay, okay. so <laughs> let's talk about the Pharaoh then right all right or do we not want to I don't I don't know what much about this but the Pharaoh was an initio Scorpio there you go that's good. Well, yeah, and they, he uses the Masonic apron. Oh, here's Kundalini right there. Oh, okay. We're right, we're right next to it. Oh, wait, this it. is where you have marked, Brandon, so I'm just going to shut up and let you lead. <laughs> I forgot this is where you finally had marked up stuff. Oh, boy. I'm saying, okay, so the Pharaoh... Oh, yeah, that is where... Um, so the, so the sat- Pharaoh wears a crown, right, with a serpent on it. Yeah. The kundalini, the one that's biting its own tail. Yeah, and it re- it just resembles the the life forces being lifted up to the brain. Mm-hmm. And he sits, the pharaoh sits on the the cube altar throne. Yeah, which I was never aware of, but I I believe it. Well, that's I guess. what he's saying. Yeah, I mean yeah. that, and saying indicating his mastery over the four elements of his physical body. And then in his hand, he carries the triple scepter of the Nile. The yeah. shepherd's crook, the Anubis head, staff, and the flail or whip. Yeah, and so these are symbols of his. These symbols represent the powers which he had mastered. So the whip he had subjected, what the he had sub subjugated his physical body. Uh-huh. The shepherd's crook, he was a guardian and keeper of his emotional body, and with the Anubis headed staff, he was the master of his mind. And worthy to wield the powers of government over others, because first of all, he obeyed the laws himself, which is a nice little spin, huh? That's why he's able to govern over other governments because he was able he followed the rules himself. Yeah. 
I'm not sure if that's just like, like our guys do. Yeah, it seems like you know what? Maybe he was on to something. Maybe America is the great <laughs> new uh, thing because all our guys follow all the rules. He mentions that the robes had a scarab on on the breast and an all-seeing eye above his throne, but there was a, there was one thing that was the most precious or sacred above all of else that he had on what his Egyptian that? priest. It was a triangular girdle or apron, which was the symbol of his initiation. Yeah. What is it? These are the... This is the... These represent my powers or my... Anyways. Power and priesthoods. Yeah. This was the triangular girdle or... You can He's like, what's voice. that? And then yeah. like, it's a symbol of my power and priesthoods. Yeah. The apron of the ancient Egyptian carried with it the same symbolism as the Masonic aprons of today. Okay. Yeah, and the interesting thing about the Masonic aprons is, does he say, because I actually thought that was a pretty good part. Um, oh, the, the Masonic, yeah, the, when it, it symbolized the purification of oh, the bodies yeah. when the seat of the lower emotions was covered by the white sheepskin of purification. Think about it. Yeah. The apron is sitting right above your, right around your lower waist, your sacral and all yeah. that, the passions, but it's, it's, it's covered over. Yeah. Like, you, like, yeah, good point. I mean, you know, and you, so you do this in, in different temple ceremonies, Masonic, Mormon or whatever yeah. you're being, you, you put on this apron to cover up your nakedness passions and stuff that's what it symbolizes and that's actually covering up is a keyword right because mm-hmm. that's actually what the hebrew word means right the hebrew word for atonement means to cover up really yeah the kapur kapur yom kapur oh okay k- k- I, the reason why i remember that so easily because out of all the hebrew that i've forgotten over the years that one's an easy one to remember because kapur and cover kapur. kapur and cover are really close and, oh, okay. and the P and the F are the same letter in Hebrew, right? Uh-huh. So it's kafar. So it's even closer to cover. Kafar, really? cover, you know. But yeah, so you're covering up your nakedness, which is what the words are very important there. Yeah, so it's this the symbol of his purification. Um. Anyway, so, and of course he, you know, he even mentions that, that it, it was through these priest kings. They were after the order of Melchizedek. And I'm like, okay, he's just like throwing stuff. Or, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like, yeah, you don't anyway. But, uh, okay. But the, the reason time- why he shouldn't have, this is why, this is evidence that Manly P. Hall was everywhere because he doesn't mention this anywhere else after this. Like, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like he was just like all over the place. Yeah. He's like kind of like me going on rants about things. Yeah. Like he didn't, he mentions like the, they were the, the order of Melchizedek, but he doesn't talk about Melchizedek again for the entire. Well, you know. yeah. I mean, he doesn't have room, but remember in, in, uh, the, the, the Bible, Mel, Mel, uh, Abraham yeah, gives tithes. tithes to Melchizedek, who's the priest over the land. Yeah. And we, but we never really, Kind of like Manly P. Hall, he's never really mentioned again. Yeah. The tradition is that, and maybe that's why Manly P. Hall mentioned him, is the tradition that Melchizedek is Shem. Sure. Who came, who was the son of the Noah who carried on the, 
the patriarchal priesthood or whatever. Yeah. You know, and so it's also one of those. So of course, if, if he was, he, you know, no, if he was a descendant of Noah and the, the high priest, then of course, Egypt would be after the order of Melchizedek because they were, you know, what I don't, what my, my, one of the tough things about the, about the name Melchizedek is there's a lot like the, so apparently like the first Pharaoh's name was Pharaoh, right? Which means king. Yeah. And we have all the kinds of like, we have all kinds of throughout history. We have all kinds of people like taking a name and like that name becomes something. You yeah. Know? Like czar. Yeah. Or Caesar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All those guys. Yeah. Where. Exactly. The thing about Melchizedek is we use many Melchizedek so often, but no one really, there's not really a deep, no one has a lot to say about Melchizedek. There is some like fringe ideas, right? But like, there's not like, it's not like many people doesn't talk about it here at least. But the name Melchizedek means like king of righteousness. Yeah. So we can easily just like throw that. We actually can just say um, the priest kings that divine worked for they were of the order of the king of righteousness. Yeah. I'm saying the 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 particular Melchizedek name only comes from the Hebrew part. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So that's theirs. What does Pharaoh mean? Exactly. Who knows? Well, it means means king. Well, it means per were. According to Porter... Pharaoh means the great house. Yeah. But yeah, but exactly. Same different. But yeah. that's almost like the same. And so you're right. Why would we see Melchizedek everywhere if it's only one nation or one group? That, that yeah, actually, that name, but yeah. the tradition. Anyway. There's plenty of kings. Of right. Even in like the, even like in the, in like the Eastern, you know, cultures, there's like great, king, there's like, there's like old sages and kings that we, today we would still look we read things from that were apparently from the great, like Lao Tzu. No one really knows who he was, but he was the great sage. Yeah. You know? So, um, oh, so, my... but okay. So you got the, so he, he kind of builds up like the Egyptian thing and like the, the pre, you know, that it was like possibly this, this, the, because of the Pharaoh and, and, everything they were able to kind of raise it up and it was able to become it's what what you know had its great time mm-hmm. you know yeah where, it's golden I mean, gold, golden building, age building that i mean where the biggest pyramid is the oldest pyramid mm-hmm. you know where that they had this complete religion and stuff where they were and uh and then after that you know it degenerated degenerated they they lost their building you know, they, they all they were doing is repairing temples or you know pyramids and stuff. Yeah, as was prophesied in the the prophecy of uh, Asclepius, the whatever it's called. Yeah, the prophecy of thought, thoughts prophecy. Yeah, they, Egypt will be a shell of what it once was eventually. Yeah. So in the last paragraph, he says, "But the time came, as in all nations, when selfishness and egotism entered the heart of king and people alike." And slowly the hand of the great white brotherhood. They had to leave. <laughs> that fed ancient Egypt was withdrawn. And the powers of darkness transformed the land of glory into one of ruins. And the names of the mighty kings were buried beneath the oblivion of degeneracy. Um, out of the land of darkness, the great white brotherhood carried the chosen people to into the promised land. Egypt, the land of glory, disintegrated into dust. Which is funny because that didn't happen. 
Like he's saying once Israel left. Oh, sure. That like all of a sudden that was, it was the transfer. And it's like Egypt was, over a couple thousand years. Like Israel's destroyed before Egypt was finally destroyed. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. So I, this is kind of a, this narrative that he's giving is kind of a little bit of a biased, bull. a biased one yeah. a little bit or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the idea, and and maybe also the uh, yeah, because it took a long time for Egypt to be destroyed. Well, ultimately, it did, and and I'm saying in the time that the Hebrews, whenever they reached their the 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 ultimate thing of their power, which is probably what well, is Solomon, right? Sure, like at their highest peak. Yeah, because after point. that they never, yeah. they never. Yeah, and, and I think, their... and if if I were to follow him here, I would say that, and though the Great White Brotherhood carried the chosen people into the Promised Land, it didn't last as long as it lasted in Egypt, right? Like, yeah, their days of glory weren't too didn't last too long. Yeah, I'm um, saying it wasn't, but I'm saying it wasn't till like really the Greeks came, went down to, or. Well, not the Greek. Well, yeah, the Alexander the Great, that Egypt was really finally conquered. Yeah, exactly. Which is only about a thousand, fifteen hundred years after they claimed that the promised land would have, you know. Yeah, because Alexander the Great was one. Yeah, like an early early BCs. BC. Yeah, early hundreds BCs. Yeah, and then and then Rome, kind of, you know. It, anyway, but the idea still remains, you know that. That they they never, but they were never able to quite get. The, I mean, I get the point. They were never able to get their thing up to par with the old. The oldest stuff seemed to have it together. Yeah, I think the point of the Great White Brotherhood leaving is he's talking about what he mentions later on in the book about the Ark of the Covenant, is how it moved on. Yeah, like the Ark of the Covenant moved on. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it it didn't Egypt isn't where it stayed and it went to a different place. Well, yeah, it's in that like thing in the U.S. military thing in that big old bunker. Oh, is that a, Dark is that of the a, Covenant? Is that a theory? What do you mean? It's on Indiana Jones. Remember at the end? Oh, I I forget. Yeah, part the, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, yeah, I guess I forgot. I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh, okay. And I was only I was only a kid. <laughs> <laughs> They're all anyway. So anyway, so the so eventually they lose it. See, this is where where he kind of is putting his little hope, you know, where you can see like what happens is, yeah, these things rise and fall, but it's it's not always so black and white, is what I'm what I'm saying. It's not like oh, this one lost it now, the next one on to the next one. Yeah, he does the same thing here that he did with um the alchemy section. So what else do you have marked? I don't have much. Um, I mean, let's see here. He says, although in the very, in the, he says, um, I made a Rudolf Steiner comment here. Okay. Um, let's see here. Although he no longer carries the scepters of self-mastery, still he mass. So he's talking, he did he's doing the same thing that he did with the alchemists. Like though the pharaohs are no longer the way they were back then, yeah, we are all, we all can still be a pharaohs in our own. Yeah. Life, yeah. Right? Yeah. So he says, um, although he no longer, no longer carries the scepters of self-mastery, still he manifests that mastery in his daily life. Although the altar fires within the temple of at Karnak have been long dead, 
the true fire within him himself still burns, and before that he still bows as he bowed in the days of Egypt's glory. Although the priest is no longer his counselor, and the wise ones of his country no longer aid him in the governmental problems, still he is never alone. For the priests in white and the counselors in blue still march with him and whisper words of strength when he needs them. That's right. So That happens to me all the time. Yeah. Same. And Rudolf Steiner talks a lot about that. How he, he, one of his big theories is that as we evolve as humans, things that used to be physical are now like in here. Like, you know, and so... Um, that's what I. That's why I made that note of that. Things that used to involve like physical things or another person as a counselor, we now have like counselors like in here, like different parts of our psych are like available if we can find them. Yeah, but they're available as like counselors, and we gotta and look stuff. inside. Um, my last note was so. They are kings, not of the earth, but of heaven. And in the life of our master, we find one who joined himself to those who served and was a true king, even when his only crown was a wreath of thorns. <gasps> that's his, that's his uh, nod to Christianity there. And then he says, um, Still in the invisible eth ether about the pyramid of Giza, the initiations continue. Still the initiate, the initiate receives the insignia of his rank. Before that fire within himself, he vow he makes his vows, and upon the burning altar of his own higher being, he lays his crown and his scepter, his robes and his diamonds, his hates and his fears, and sanctifies his life as a priest king, and swearing to serve no one but his higher self. That's right. The kingdom of God's inside, yeah. as Jesus said. Exactly. And, uh, and a another nod to the Rosicrucians, they're the ones... Or at least Spencer Lewis's writings are the ones that suggest that tells the story of Jesus being initiated in the at the temple in Egypt. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, we know that at least in the scriptures they flee down there. Yeah, and that's all we know there. The Ark of the Covenant. You know, I wasn't excited to read the Ark of the Covenant chapter because I've never been interested in the Ark of the Covenant. You know. Because I think I've always felt like the Ark of the Covenant is one of those like mythical things. Everybody's like, "Where do you think the Ark's at?" I'm like, "I don't care where the Ark's at." I don't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but it was it's one of those like things that a lot of like people want to talk about. Like, yeah, like Graham Hancock has a whole big old fat yeah. book on it. Yeah, people talk about like people want to talk about the. And there's a there's a movie. Like, do you a, think you can actually find it? And there's movies about it. And yeah, like, as I'm saying, there there are, see, then that's why it's nice that his that yeah he takes. The Ark of the Covenant, and it's like kind of like, you know, it symbolized this instead of like, oh, it's an actual thing. Like people are like, it was a battery, dude. It was, it was a. <laughs> yeah, there's all these, that's you know, why. and that's why once when, when the guy touched it, he was because the guys had rods. That yeah, they all these crazy with. theories. And you know, it's they like had a... poles because they couldn't touch it because actually, but whenever he touched it, it he grounded him. <laughs> or and, that's, and that's my point exactly. That's that's why when I saw the the title of this chapter, I'm like, oh great, Ark of the Covenant theories. Okay, you so know the but, Ark of the Covenant is basically the thing on Indiana Jones, but it was it was something that that was this uh, big chest, like a big box, yeah, 
and there was angels on top of it, like these cherubim. Cherubim, yeah, with their wings towards each other. And you even find those representations in like fair in like Egyptian tombs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The big the big thing that that people don't get is a lot of the the Israelite religion came from yeah. Egyptian their their temple was based on Egyptian temples. Exactly. So I mean so and that's maybe the what Manly P. Hall is talking about when he's like and they left. They took the true religion with them. Sure. And Egypt was left to slowly degenerate over yeah. time. So the ancient Ark of the Israelites never had removed from its staffs by which it was carried and moved until finally it was placed in Solomon's temple. Because they had a mobile temple originally. Yeah. Like it was actually like canvas or maybe not canvas. But, yeah. Yeah. But it, that they, that they stuff, would yeah. put up because they, they were for 40 years wandering around. Yeah. And uh, God had them make this Ark. That they carried around with them, and then it wasn't until finally Solomon's temple was built that they w- were able to take out the the poles, the poles that they're using to hold it, carry it with. Yeah, because the thing was you couldn't touch it; only certain people could carry it. And there's there's the story of the guy, uh, this guy. I don't remember what his name is, but they're going into Israel, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he's he he's walking by it, and all of a sudden he starts seeing it kind of fall that's right and he's like and so he's trying to he goes to try to save it from hitting the ground and also and he touches it and he gets zapped and just just dies right there yeah and the whole the whole point is is that god will take care of it you know he and he said don't touch it you do what god says Regardless of whether it looks like it's gonna fall or well, yeah, and how tip. much and how much and this is where Manly's going with this, by the way. But this is not my own like thinking here. But how much symbolism is in that? Like, you take this with you, right? And it has the law in it, and it has the it has the symbolism of new life, mm-hmm. and it has like symbolism of how you need me, right? Yeah. In it, and yeah. you carry it around with you, and don't touch it. Like the thing like the U.S. Constitution, don't touch this. Don't touch it. You know, it. like don't. don't even read it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like the whole like you know, basically creating a system where you realize that over time people are going to try and mess with it. Oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, like don't touch it. This is the law. This is the need that you guys have, my dep- your dependency on me, and this is like the the goal of of life and like renewal, right? Don't touch these things. And yeah. so and but but carry it with you because you're gonna need it wherever you go. You're gonna have to carry it with you. That's why you have the pocket constitution. Yeah, carry it with you in your little front pocket. <laughs> but it says kind of like the the Solomon's temple. You know that finally they were able to remove the things. Sure. He says neither does the spirit, fire, and man rest until finally it is enthroned in the holy place of his solar temple. Yeah. So each of these chapters, he's telling the same story. Right. Yeah. It's the journey. It's the journey. Right. Yeah. The the difference between the Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the Covenant. He seems to be adding a little bit to it, where the Ark of the Covenant is the same time, same thing as the flame. No, but the, okay. But it's more of like a civilization's flame. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing too, though, about the Ark of the Covenant that I didn't think about. He was talking about the whole journey to the Promised Land. Yeah. 
but they're they're journeying to the promised land but they have this with this sacred ark to finally get it to its final resting place sure it's even like a deeper maybe symbolism yeah like That's they're carrying point. it with them yeah. until finally they can find it. That's build a good point. A, build yeah. a place and then they. Because if it's know. symbolic, then yeah, exactly. It's don't let, just because everything's falling apart, don't drop this now. Take it with yeah. you. And um, 40 protect years. Protect it. Yeah, protect it. Yeah, so that's it's. I kind of saw this as the Ark of the Covenant as like a as like a civilization level flame. See, and here's where he he does his little thing. He says the time has come when its silent bearers have taken the sacred Ark and the Shekinah Shekinah's glory, mm-hmm. and in solemn file have moved across the waters and brought it to the new world. That's right. He's saying, yeah. I don't know where he was already. He was already planning on writing his uh, future books. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, read the top of the first, the next paragraph. Oh wait, you're different, huh? It's okay. What's the the opportunity? Do you have that? Here, you can read mine. Yeah, do yours. The opportunity is now confronting the Western world. The knowledge of the ancients, the wisdom of the ages, is knocking at the door and seeking those who will follow it. That's right. So this, remember, this is written in 1922. So there's all this oh. re- renewal and, and hope, um, you know, that somehow the, the, the U.S. would become... Or well, the here Western is, yeah. world would become the great sure. hope of the world. And then we just ended up becoming an empire, unfortunately. Yeah, like everything else. I was insane. It, the, the thing about this, this is 1922. They had only had one world war that they had fought, you know, that had finished. So it wasn't until after the Second World War that the American Empire was, you know, that they always... Perm- were, was a permanent military sure. thing. Exactly. That's so, what I thought that too. Yeah. At the end of that paragraph it says, and if it finds nothing here attuned to itself, if it finds few that will answer to its call, the call of service and brotherhood, then will its priests lift again the staffs and the sacred work will go out into other lands. I don't know where it's going to go, but they're already on their way. In my opinion. <laughs> so yeah and it's, we and can't even, worry about about the the i mean i obviously we should be more worried about trying to get ourselves you know the personal thing sure than doing it as the nation but it also he also gives an analogy of of the 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 ark of the covenant being um like yeah. bear bear Oh, right. What is yeah. Oh, well, okay, so the rod that so inside the ark of the covenant was the rod that budded, mm-hmm. the pot of manna, and the tables of the law. And these three things contained in the ark, we see the threefold spirit contained within the ark of man's bodies. Okay. Um you can you can go on with Did you do you have that in your thing? Yeah. Like I do. So in the brain of man right here oh and the brain of man between the wings of the kneeling cherubim is the mercy seat and there man speaks with his god as the priest of the tabernacle spoke to the spirit of the lord hovering between the wings of the angels yeah 
Man is again the ark, and within him are the three principles, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the tablets of the law, the pot of manna, and the rod that budded. But as in the case of the ancient Israelites, when they became crystallized, the pot of manna and the rod were that budded were removed from the ark. And all that was left were the tablets of the letters of the law. Yeah. Which is, I'll agree with Manly on that. It's pretty obvious that's what is left behind usually. Yeah. Um, it's it just, just the law. The law. Well, that's what I'm saying. Then, and then all of a sudden you have the New Testament where Jesus is like, dude, you guys have, all you had left was the law. You, you know, abandoned sure. the spirit. And he made all these new, all these rules around it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Good point. He lost the spirit of it. And this is where like the Kabbalah and stuff. Or like saying things like your, your words are close to me, but your heart is far from me. Referring yeah. to the pot of manna and no longer being there. Like you don't, you don't need him anymore. Yeah. Type of thing. Um, yeah. So that's. So yeah. uh, there's this part where it says the ark. Within is always present, but man can only reach it after he passed through the outer court of the tabernacle, and after he passed through all the degrees of initiation, and after he has taken the third degree and becomes a grand master. Talking about mm-hmm. mas- mas- Masonic stuff. Sure. Then, and only then, can he enter into the presence of his Lord. So if anybody's ever been initiated in the temple, or uh, you know the Masonic temple, or... Yeah, some other ones they'll know that this is how it works so then you're and only then can you enter into the presence of his lord and there in the darkened chamber lighted by the jewels of his own breastplate he converses with the most high the true spiritual essence within himself and if you think about it like that's the way it works is you you have all these different things you got to do up until mm-hmm. when you're finally what does he say allowed to enter into the presence of the Lord. After that, there's nothing, there's no more stuff. That's then it's all up to you. Yeah. And your relationship. Exactly. One of the differences that I've seen though, is he does and other and other um, systems. When you go into the Holy of Holies, you like speak with like an angel or with God or something here. He's making it clear that you speak with the most high, the true spiritual essence within himself. You know, yeah. So, rather than there being another being sitting there with you, you're talking to, yeah, right in front of you, like it's actually going on internally. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That a lot of people get it mixed up, and yeah, it sounds cooler. Yeah, that you're actually like, yeah. When it's well, um, then you're talking to yourself. That seems crazy. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. So. Oh, look at that. Do I have stuff? Oh, that's the next chapter. Anyway, now we got on to the Knights of the the Holy Grail. Let's just rush through this. Okay. Um, so there's the... We mentioned it a little bit earlier. There's the study of the Grail legend, right? Yeah. And apparently it's like a super old story. And he even suggests to read the story, mm-hmm. you know, which... Yeah, he says, to every nation and every tongue, sacred legends have been given to each to teach man the path he must follow. Yeah, and that's really the key is the is the is the education about the the details of the story yeah. and like what the journey is what's important. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he uses He gives a few examples of it. Yeah, read here. The, 
Which one? All just right after that. The so, blind Homer and yeah. So he says, um, for some reason I can't find it. It's, um. Well, the, okay. It's the blind Homer of the Greeks who told of the wanderings of Ulysses. Oh yeah. Gave the same great truths to the it. world. The scalds of ancient Norway and Sweden and the prophets of the Jews used the same means. And everywhere from the sacred books of the East to the legends of the American Indians, we find one great connected truth told to many different people in ways that were best suited for their development. So he says, such a truth is a legend of the round table given to King Arthur as a wedding gift. So he's going to reference that wedding we talked about earlier in the alchemist chapter. All true students know what wedding that was. So it's some of the alchemical wedding. So after Arthur was wedded, he had received his uh was his spirit and mind became one. Uh, he was gifted the round table. So not of the earth. Okay, I already read this to that. Of such a marriage was the union of Arthur and Guinevere in the legend of the king. So some deep symbolism there. Uh, and then there's the symbolism of Merlin. So let us first consider the coming of King the Arthur the King. We read in the, in the legend of Arthur that regarding Merlin the magician. I never made this connection before. I'm like, he was oh my preparing gosh. The way. Yeah, the magician, which is like the card like, one of the tarot, right? The magician. Oh yeah. Um, the wise man who is said to have charge of the coming king during his youth. Merlin represents the hand of the elder brothers. Um, who had their hands in all things, apparently, yeah. right? who realizes that a great ego had come into the world and had consecrated themselves to the work of preparing him for his mission. Um, so yeah, then he so goes off and... F- oh, he's the one that actually did the whole yeah. thing with the am- the sword and the stone. And orchestrated, orchestrated it all. Yeah. And one of the things I really liked about um, one of the episodes I listened to of Ruba a while back is he was talking about how, like, our, like our higher our spiritual guardians and stuff, how like they kind of like set things up for us. They yeah. know what we need. Yeah. They're aware of what we need next and what, what needs to happen for us to progress. Yeah. And so they kind and of, that's what this is kind of, yeah. Like there's these different things, these different, and we can step up to the thing or not. And some things are just, will just happen, but how we deal with them, you know, different experiences um so he says uh he talked about the there's a very wonderful mystery of the soul contained within the divine allegory let us read the letters that were engraved upon i should say let's read the words let us read the letters that were engraved upon the sword whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is right wise king born of england yeah. So, and it's like earlier, the cube stone is the body, like you mentioned earlier, the yeah. cube, right? And um, even experience is the anvil. Experience is the anvil, cube. and the spirit and the sword is spirit. And he who would be king is, in the true spiritual sense of the word, must first show his divine power by freeing the sword of spirit from the casings of the lower man of the world. Nice symbolism, pulling the sword from the stone, huh? Yeah. This is the same symbol used by for Galahad. So as you were mentioning earlier, there's different knights that had different journeys they went on, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he, Sir Galahad had 
the strength of ten because his heart was pure. pure my and my heart and heart and heart <laughs> and the knight of today must follow the same path so he says if you ever if you read the king king Arthur story you remember how he was given Excalibur and how it came out from the water by a hand I never understood that like well I thought he got it from the stone <laughs> no yeah the, the, yeah the sword and the stone he never he didn't use it's kind of weird but uh, the Excalibur was given for, so the the, sto- the sword that was in the stone was an Excalibur right mm-hmm. as a thing is in the um in the disney version of king of art was a king art what was it called sword of the stone mm-hmm. i think i think they were claiming that was excalibur right but he I knows. Don't know. the enchanted sword actually came from a out of the water held by a hand draped in white so excalibur represents light and truth which is the weapon of the true initiate that's right he mentions there's some symbolism still going on in england Okay, and then he he talks about ancient legend tells us that there is a cup made from a sacred stone. Okay, this is the this is what you referenced this earlier. This is the the Grail thing. Yeah, the Grail and spear. Okay, so this is what, something I didn't know that the Grail legend that it was there was a cup made from a sacred stone which had been the crown jewel of Lucifer. Okay. Yeah. The di- and it was said that the green stone had been struck from the crown of Lucifer by the archangel Michael during the famous battle in heaven when Lucifer and his follower yeah. angels were kicked out. And so, and then this was made into a cup. And it was after the death of Christ that Joseph of Arimathea took the sacred cup and the spear of the passion and carried it into a distant land. So if if you know the Christ story, when he was crucified, they poked him. The guards with the spear mm-hmm. poked him in the side to make sure he was dead, and just water came out. Remember that? Sure. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting. I'm not gonna go off. The uh, reason why I'm saying that because I don't. I'm I'm per, I'm holding back a rant. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. There's there's basically that's what the spear was. It was what was used to like. Yeah, and so check so him. supposedly. The, the legend has it, whatever legend that the the there was a grail was filled up with the blood of Christ from when he was crucified, and the spear was the one that was used to check that he was dead, and it always had blood on the end of it. It never went away, never wiped. It was off. continually bleeding or something like that. So anyway, okay, so let's just keep moving on. Okay, I, there's this good. Um, thing, and I'll read half of it. Yeah. I'll read the first couple sentences. You read the second. Okay, the knight of today does not realize that the white armor that he wears is his own purified body, which is proof against all the attacks of vice and passion. But nevertheless, this is the meaning of the legend. His shield is truth, which is a perfect protection, which is a perfect protection to the inner man. His strong right arm is the knowledge and spiritual power he has developed within. And the sword that he uses in the spiritual light with which the pure flame of the spirit fire fire dispels the darkness of ignorance and Mm. demon lust. Demon lust, not just lust. The sacred spear and the cup which he serves are the two poles of the created life force within, the development of which he gains as he daily serves his fellow men. See, so I think this, and then you get the next, but Mm -hmm. the spear 
and the cup, the chalice, are actually the male and female hmm. principles. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the cup and the monad, or, or well, I'm saying you got the yeah, you the, got the, the literal symbolism. cup and yeah. the, the spear, you know, kind of phallic symbols, I yeah. guess you could say, but yeah. not to be, but uh, so you have good point. Okay, so now you go. The Holy Grail is our body within which is the lifeblood of the Sun Spirit, S U N, the Sun Spirit of the universe. Each day that we live, we perpetuate the the Last Supper, and in all that we do. And in all that we do, we drink again the blood of Christ, the life power of the cosmos. Um, Far from the uninitiated, the twelve elder brothers of mankind, sitting around the circular table of the universe, watch the knights in their battle of life. And the time comes when the student, having finished his work here, is liberated at the foot of the grail. There the candidate stands, robed from head to foot in the armor of the spirit and in the pure white of a body that has been cleansed. Then the cloth is lifted from the sacred cup and he is illuminated by the light which would have killed him had he seen it without purification. He then takes his place on the knights of the round table and joins those who give up all and labor for humanity. Welcome, Sir Brandon. You made it. To the Knights of the Round Table. Holy man, that sucked. Was that finally over? Okay, so there you go. There's the whole, I mean, so you're seeing over and over again the rap, you know, that it's the same story. So let's, uh, I don't know, do you want to talk about the pyramid? Let's just not. Yeah, at the very end, he talked about the mystery of the pyramid, but I don't have much to say about it. A bunch of the same stuff that we talked about, but he gives a little details about like the different chambers, and he, and he, um, he takes the different chambers. If you know the chambers of the in the Pyramid of Giza specifically, he this equates them with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, um, keep no- and take note: the Holy Spirit chamber is underground. Um, and that there's four sides to the pyramid. Yeah, he does the same the same so thing. It's the we representative the of man. Yeah. So you have the. The water, the fire, the air, and the earth, you know, kind of thing. Yep. Very. Oh, and my book doesn't have the very end there. And then he does a clever thing at the end um, with the chalices, right? Yeah. So he has this thing at the end. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What kind of person are you going to be? Brandon, read the White Grail. The White Grail is choose now your path. Service, self-sacrifice, purification, love, and study. And then the Black Grail is prosperity at others' expense, selfishness, shortcuts, mastered by appetite, and comfort. Which will you choose? This is his his quick explanation of how there's a left and a right-hand path to everything we do. And I think this very last section was actually like a little like snippet he added for the because he wrote this for like the graduates of us of a uh, of a school. Yeah. And so this is like what are you, and you know when you're reading like a when you're listening to like a speech for graduates like what are you going to do now in your life? You know at the oh, very yeah, end. Yeah. I think are you going to be is. are you going to you're going to drink from the white grail or the black? Yeah. You know, so and that's what all the symbolism according to him is it's all the same symbolism. All representing the same general principles. So it's kind of like choose your choose your path, right? Like, choose your own adventure. Because yeah, exactly, 
do you do this? Turn this was the 16. original Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah, he should. They should have booked that way. We're like, turn to page eighty-three if you choose to do the <laughs> Egyptian initiate way. Yeah, or page sixty-nine if you want to go the uh, Rusu or the um, King, the Knights we Templar way. We should do a King Arthur choose your own adventure story, <laughs> where you get to choose different things and then. Yeah, and you can. I feel like we're in the movie Big. Remember in the movie Big when they're like talking about that, and then the book. Have you seen the movie Big? Yeah. They work at a toy company? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And in the book, you can choose your own paths that you do. And then whatever you choose, whatever you choose the next segment will be different depending on that. And, like, and he's explaining it to her, her. And all she can do is think about him. She's like, yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the thing where he's like, the, the guy's got the big building. And the ro- the building becomes a robot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> What don't you get? <laughs> like, well, what happens to the people that are in the building whenever he transforms? <laughs> so anyway. funny. Well, that was a good book. So, yeah, that's The Initiates of the Flame. A cute, uh, I thought it was a cute little book. It is. You know, with a nice little message on and really puts it to the individual, you know, that we're, you're kind of, you're the one that has to choose your path. I mean, you're given all this stuff and all these things in, in life, you know, and, and it'll take you different ways. But you need to if if you want, you can take control of it and choose your own adventure. Basically, as we said, that's the end. That's what he said. Choose your own adventure and make it. You want the good ending. You don't want the one where you get in a snake pit or where you crash out in the your your race car runs out of gas out in the desert. You know, you're thinking of the race for tomorrow. That you read. Yeah, <laughs> that was always the worst. I'm like, dang it. So back in the old days, before the internet and stuff, people were really limited to what they had, right? Like, you know, when when I grew, when we grew, when when we were younger, it wasn't like this. The way the world is today, I have like everything that I like need. Like, I don't want it much because, like, if I want it, I just go buy it. Yeah. You know? Where, when I was a kid, I had two Choose Your Own Adventure books, and I reread those same two books, like, dozens of times. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the luxury of just, like, go grabbing the next one. Yeah. You know? And so, there was, I have, when I think of Choose Your Own Adventure, I think of those particular two books. And What were they? One of them was you went to your uncle's. You went to your uncle's farm to live for the summer. Uh-huh. And the ways that you die were like by a horse kicking you or like <laughs> uh, one of them was like a swamp. I, I feel like I got the oh, swamp like ending a few times. Yeah, I can't remember. I feel like I got that ending a few times. One of them was just like, uh, the you know, the truck broke down or something like that in the middle of nowhere. And the next picture was just like a, like just like some grass and it was just like it. And it was over because it would just, it wouldn't tell you to go further if you if it was over. Yeah. And um, then the other one was a uh, like a sports themed one, but there was like a it was like a it must have been like from a different country or no? Because you're all local, right? I think it was like a rugby team. You're joining a rugby team or something. The one with the uncle, I hated that one though. Yeah, it sounds like a lame one. There's not even any. Cause yeah, the one, one of that... one of the one of your cousins was like a bully. 
Ah. Oh. So, and I remember the picture, the, the artwork in this picture was like a mean kid. Yeah, like whenever. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, what was the sport one? Maybe it wasn't rugby. What was it? Was it soccer? Well, I think they might have been written in a different country. Because they, they seem to kind of because I remember English, like, like one was like yeah British because I remember the race forever which is the one I remember was um, down in Australia or something oh, okay where you're a race you're doing a, a oh, maybe they were then. some kind of like race but you oh, it, it was, was across the, the desert was it in the outback yeah the outback and so so it had a mean guy with an Australian hat one of the sure the one of the brims yeah. was up to the side yeah. you know turned up. I can totally see that. Yeah, Jurassic Park, and he's hat. all like, "Ah." So yeah, you would you could run out of gas, or you know, you somebody would sabotage your car or whatever, you know, something like that to win. Clever, good so, old books. But yeah. Uh, anyway, we should do we should do like write our own little choose your adventure, and we could put it up on the on a site. Yeah, for King Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you steal Guinevere? That's the thing is that in in the Arthurian legends, I think eventually Guinevere and Lancelot hook up. Yeah, that's what I would recall. I mean, you think they called him Lancelot for a reason? Get it? Yeah. There's like there's the analogy of the spear again. <laughs> <laughs> like should have named him Sir Lance, not so much. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> um, okay, well, that's it. This is a nice long, long one. This is probably what we got. At least our second longest. Oh, great! At two hours and forty-five minutes, forty-three minutes. All so. right, yeah. So, uh, hopefully, you found this interesting. Um, we've got some plans for a future one. As Mark mentioned earlier in the episode, one of our we we we, we were thinking about doing something more uh, Nordic, right? Yeah. So. So that might be uh, coming in the future, near future. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna read up more on the myths. Yeah. So I can get familiar with those, and we can share those. Maybe we'll make kind of a big episode where, or not big one, but where we can talk about kind of everything we know about Nordic myths. Cause, yeah, which are crazy. Which is, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, talk to you later. See you. Bye. Why?